This is a Culture Inject production. Welcome back, everyone, to Part of Us, an Invogue fan cast. Before we dig in, uh, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Invogue Craze and on Twitter at Part of Us Fancast. Stream Part of Us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have ideas, interview requests, comments, or questions, email them to us at partofusevf at gmail.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review our podcast. This week's episode should be a good one. It is about in vogue before they were in vogue so before we jump into the meat of today's episode let's talk what's trending so first at we miss music on twitter uh, says that a remastered expanded edition of funky divas will be available digitally uh, on february the 25th however we couldn't find this reported anywhere else but folks what do you think of another remastered funky divas album and what do you make of it being expanded potentially i mean i want to know what is what does expanded mean i mean what are we expanding on i don't know if there's some unreleased music i wouldn't mind hearing that but i don't need another remix i don't need an acapella i don't i just like i don't know what they're expanding on at this point I, I, I kind of wonder if they're going to add maybe some instrumentation to some songs. You know, as the industry has evolved, like songs and tracks become more full and have more, you know, instruments and sound effects. So it could be that to make certain invoke sounds sound a little bit more modern. But I, I do hope Expanded does mean some unreleased tracks. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I know every single song. I don't need another version of that. Uh, but I would love some unreleased things if that is the case. I would, too. I think the remixes, Funky Divas had runaway love that came after it and then i think there was like another one that was released internationally because there were some really good remixes like the give it up turn it loose remixes especially i think the kevin dean jazz remix like that's really good but they've already been released so i just think at this point it's kind of almost maybe a cash grab um, from Rhino. And I did see a tweet from Rhino Records, so this is official. But it's like, why don't you update their certifications before you try to, you know, have us buying more um, records? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, one thing I do hate, though, and I think, Champ, you were, we were talking about this offline earlier, but um, I think there are a lot of like official remixes that are not available, like on iTunes and Spotify that I think I wouldn't mind hearing some of those that were actually released because I remember like the My Loving cassette single that was like a really cool remix on of it that I used to like, but it's not available on streaming. Um, but it wasn't official like they released it. It's not it's something that they released with the with the cassette single, but it's not available to stream. So I wouldn't mind hearing that again, but um, I do hate how like some of those artists from the 90s I wish they would put all of that stuff that officially came out at least in the US like put it all online for streaming because I know Janet has like a lot of remixes um, she has a whole remix album that's not even available to stream um, so yeah I, I hope they're doing something that um, 
they're kind of putting it's worth the money yeah i mean the stuff is already recorded just yeah you don't have to mix and master it anymore just put it online you know (laughs) i'm not very i'm not very hopeful i feel like I, I, i have seen a lot of artists actually start to put the like singles on streaming and then like kind of include so it's been nice and not every artist is doing it or every label's doing it i feel like that's a like a label thing more than an artist thing i don't know i know mariah was doing it a lot like she was giving us all of the old eps with you know all of the b-sides and the remixes the and EPs. stuff i missed the right. eps you would go to the uh the record store and get the ep and like get the whole the maxi single is what it used to maxi be called singles. you gotta get the maxi <laughs> single because you, you gonna get an instrumental yeah. you're gonna get some remixes you're gonna yep. get you know you can get the whole <laughs> it's gonna be about it's gonna be about three popular DJs who's gonna do their yeah, own the Spanish version. There's a Spanish version. Yeah. So if they're gonna give us, if they're gonna give us some maxi singles, uh, I can, I can accept that. I'm not, I'm not very hopeful. I also like we're we're recording this as of the fifth of February, and all we've seen is a couple of tweets. So I just. I don't like the idea that something that would be a remastered expanded edition is just going to go fly under the radar. Like it just seems like a missed, a missed opportunity, which feels like the quality won't be there. I think Mateo said it's a cash grab. It's a cash grab. And you saying that made me realize it's like, it's the 30th anniversary of that record that came out in 1992. (laughs) 30 years. That came out in 1992. Oh my God. Um, yeah, they need to do a little something more than that. Uh, you know, if they're trying to commemorate that 30th year anniversary of funky divas, that's their biggest record. Um, well on Friday, March 4th, in Vogue will perform at the seventh annual Mavs Ball presented by AT&T. Appearances will also include Dallas Mavericks players, CEO Sint Marshall and Governor Mark Cuban. This star-studded night includes a cocktail reception, seated dinner, live and silent auctions and entertainment sponsored by Voyager. This is the premier fundraising event for the Mavericks Foundation bringing together Mavericks fans, partners, and VIPs to celebrate the 2021 to 2022 grantees and the charitable work of the Dallas Mavericks during this season. You know, we always say in Vogue, stays booked. (laughs) Check, ladies, get the check. They stay, right? And and organizations like this, what's funny is that it, it, don't, it don't have to be televised. You don't have to hear about it. But they are doing events that they probably get a pretty penny for. So I'm here for I it. I am girls. too. I'm totally here for it. A mysterious track has floated onto Invoke's YouTube and Spotify pages. Someone by the name of Oswald is listed as the producer, lyricist, composer, and publisher. Have you guys heard the track? And do you think it's really an Invoke track? Or is someone trying to ride the coattails on Invoke's uh, Rocket of Love? I clicked on ah, it. I clicked on it. that thing. It was like an instrumental, I think. I, I did like that thing where you just like hit the track three, four times th- during the like, the three minutes to see if uh-huh. any, at any point someone started singing. And I was like, oh, no, this ain't it. <laughs> Nobody did. You know, you know, what's funny is a few years ago, there was a YouTube page of like a producer who was posting their own original tracks online. Um, and it was at, and, and some of it was like instrument in the middles and some of it was like demo tracks and I, and it was like a producer who was trying to, 
appeal to In Vogue, like, oh, this would be a great song for In Vogue, or this would be a great track for them to record to, as kind of a way to, like, promote themselves. So I almost think that, is this the same type of thing? If this is the same person, but I do remember that, I'm like, I'm like, it was one of them was like a girl singing about this song about being brokenhearted, and it was like, oh, in, for, for In Vogue. And I was like, I can hear them singing this song. I can hear them not singing this song. So I don't know if that's like a new thing that these upcoming producers are doing. I, I don't couldn't know. hear an invoke on any of this song. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I've seen a couple of like older artists who have had like random tracks appear under their names and stuff. And I don't know, to me, it just seemed like an error in terms of like, you know, how it was like, I don't know the process of getting a song on to the streaming networks or whatever but it seems like um you know it's just a matter of what name they're you know submitting it in under or something i actually like the track a little bit though i think like it's it, no it, it doesn't it doesn't sound it's not a bad track it does sound good it's just like i don't i don't know how in vogue fits on that well yeah then it says explicit no. lyrics so that's kind of like the telltale sign for me that like okay this is a, a mistake but I did do some like a little bit of digging and I saw like it's um I guess the the company that it's from it's a record label that like distributes music for un- independent artists and it like says it gives you tools to power your career and unites you with the world's biggest brands and it's like a distribution app so maybe when like the artist used it it went to like streaming platforms under in vogue and um maybe as a theory allegedly hypothetically like that was by design because like that independent new artist is trying to get streams and stuff and so the easiest way to do that is you know to maybe generate interest from someone who has an established fan base because they're gonna be like oh let me click on this who who you know in vogue has a new song hmm and then- i mean it worked <laughs> today on the episode we are going to be discussing uh, the individual careers of the ladies that we love and going in depth about why our favorite member is our favorite member and why we love them all so listeners out there who is your favorite member let us know on instagram or put your reason in the youtube comments so let's get into it in order of the zodiac first up is rona bennett Rona. Woo! Okay, Rona. She is a Taurus, and oh, me too. When you I didn't know she was a Taurus. Oh. I knew you were a Taurus. See, I knew it. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. How did you know I was a Taurus? I give off Taurus you know, energy. You do give off Taurus energy. You remind me a lot of my Taurian friends. Uh, <laughs> you guys are very stubborn. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be, but um, and then like I don't like my sign. You square with my sign a lot of times. So like if we're working together, like it's you know we'll kind of bump heads a little bit. Um, <laughs> but I still love the the Taurus people. <laughs> but okay, so um, and so while we're on the topic, I'll just say like famous Taurian women. Like there's Janet is a Taurus. Our birthdays Jones are the same Taurus. Day. You and Janet, mm-hmm. May sixteenth. Wow. And that's why you. Wow. All right. <laughs> and Adele, um, you know, she's a Taurus. So those are just some famous um, Taurian women. I won't go into too much of, uh, of, you know, my astrological interest with this, but I love Rona so much. Um, I've been a fan since she was on the Mickey Mouse Club, but she actually started her professional career um, 
with Brewster's Place, not the miniseries. Um, it's, I guess it was like a, a short-lived TV series that Oprah produced. So you're not going to see Jack Kay in it. You're not going to see, uh, Lynn you Whitfield, know, Robin Gibbons. Lynn Whitfield, I think the only one who was in the miniseries is that old lady with the purple hair who was mean to the lesbians. Mm. She <laughs> made cameos in the series. And it maybe only ran for like 10 episodes. And I actually bought... Maybe it's a DVD. And so I saw the episodes that Rona was in. And it's really cute. But that's how she got her start. Um, she tells the story as she was auditioning for the role of... Um, I don't even know Oprah's character's name. But whoever, also I'll just say Oprah's niece. And she didn't get it. that It went to a, a, a young girl named Deliana Richards. But I guess she made such an impression on Oprah that Oprah created the role of the her niece's friend for Rona. And so that's how she got her start. Um, I didn't. I don't think I watched that series. I didn't know about that until later. Where I know Rona from is the Mickey Mouse Club, and that is just my yes. all time. Well, one of my all time favorite shows from my childhood. Uh, did you guys have you guys did, watch the Mickey Mouse Club? I didn't watch it, but I've seen like the clips of her singing with Christina. Like I don't know where I was when I was not into Disney. Like that was definitely like my era. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, <laughs> but I never I never watched that a day in my life. Like <laughs> Me either actually. I never I used watched. to love the Mickey Mouse Club. Yay! <laughs> Uh, they were like the, that was who I was like I want to be like that like I want to go to work and do that as a kid like that was fun it was such a fun show and she was like and I'm not just saying this but she was always my favorite and I don't remember when I stopped watching uh, or when I started watching it because it ran for about um, seven seasons and it started maybe at the end of 89 but I remember you know a lot of the things that she did and a lot of the songs that she did um, to kind of give a background, like they would, the Mickey Mouse Club, it was so multifaceted because at one, one point they could be like hosting, um, you know, a game show portion of the show. They could be acting. They had a little spinoff um, soap opera called Emerald Cove. They did music videos. They interviewed people. And they also did live performances. And they even released like a, an album called MMC. But Rona, she just always caught my eye. Um, I mean, they dance. Like there's this really good performance of her uh, doing funky big band. She's a dancer in it. She, so she's just solely dancing. She's dan- her partner is Matt Morris, Britney Spears, and Justin. They're dancing in it. And I think JC Chazé and Nikki Deloach, they're dancing in it. So you get to see so many different sides of her. And she was always like one of the best at everything. To me, she's one of the best actresses. She's one of the best comedians. She's one of the best singers, one of the best dancers. She just had Did it all. Did you say that they were doing Janet's? Right. Funky That's what I was like, Funky Big Band, the album mm-hmm. track. Okay. They did Funky wow. Big Band. It, they, it was like, um, they did, uh, what kind of dancing is that? I want to say maybe swing dancing. Uh, so they, okay. they had partners and Alana, I have to get, cause I love all of them. Alana, Josh, Jennifer. I could probably go through and name all of them. Mark, Carrie Russell, Ryan Gosling, um, and, Carrie Russell mm-hmm. the Mickey Mouse Club. Yes, what? I saw wow. them. I saw them performing SWV like week, and they did Tony mm-hmm. Braxton Breathe Again. I was like, what? I saw like the on. I seen this on YouTube in the last few years. I'm like, what was this show? And why are these children <laughs> singing these mature songs? <laughs> but they were killing right. it though. It was. It was. It was very. Um. It was very entertaining. I give them that. It- 
I forgot what song. It was a clip of like Ryan Gosling and JC Chazé. They were singing like some like "Apply for You" by um, Jodeci. Old school R and B. Yes, <laughs> I was like, "Are you kidding me? Get out of my face!" <laughs> you know, I actually, I wouldn't. I would be here for like a a Mickey Mouse Club reunion of sorts. You know how like they done like the Moesha reunion. You know, like a couple other. Um, sitcoms that they've just kind of like had sit downs, family matters talked about. I would be here for that because I think it would be cool to see all these like huge stars like who have who have made like even bigger careers for themselves individually to kind of come together and say, "Dang, we all got our start here." You know, look where we have gone. And then I feel like you know maybe maybe rekindling. A relationship will, will open up doors for people. Maybe uh, Ronan can be Britney Spears' life coach. <laughs> <laughs> Britney can enroll and, and, and roll with Coach she, Rowe. She, <laughs> need, she needs it. I don't, you know, I hate to sound like you, get off my lawn, but music used to be so much better than it was um, today. But so just going back to that era, I just loved it so much. I loved being a child. I, I loved music. I loved watching BET. And so then you have these kids doing it, which is exciting to watch. She was always my favorite. I remember um, just for all the Invoke fans out there who don't know, she did do What a Man on the show. I think that's the only um, Invoke song that they ever did on the Mickey Mouse Club. And I, from last episode, I know that Champ believes that is strictly a salt and pepper song, but uh, that's fine. <laughs> but it, I, and the bug never shut up. I, SWV was on the Mickey Mouse Club. Escape was on the Mickey Mouse Club. Like they made cameos. Um, Brian McKnight, I think maybe Boys to Men. I can't say a hundred percent, but it was just a really great show. And. Then after that, she moved to Los Angeles and she talks about it. She wanted to play with the big dog. So she was ready. That show ended for her when she was about 18. And some of the other ones like, you know, Brittany, Christina, um, Ryan Gosling, Justin Timberlake, TJ Fantini, um, Tate, RIP. They were a little bit younger. So for the show to be canceled the way it was, like, you know, you'll see pictures of them when the show ended. They're in tears. They're just inconsolable. Um, but then, of course, they ended up really giving the show a great legacy with their careers outside of the Mickey Mouse Club. So it kind of worked out. But the older kids, like Rona, Tony Luca, Carrie had already left. I think she did a show. Um, she left to do a show, and then her and Tony did Malibu Shores. But anyway, this is all MMC stuff. Back to Rona. So Rona went to LA, and she almost signed to Death Row in the 90s. And I bet you didn't know that. I bet you didn't know that she was almost signed to Death Row. And it was so interesting. She dodged a bullet, literally. Ah! <laughs> I mean, yeah, because I think that was when, like, just based on the timeline, I'm thinking Dre had already left, who was, like, the best producer. So there would have been, like, Suge Knight. I think Tupac was still there. Snoop might have still been there. And there was just a lot of death and destruction. Her and Dawn um, could have been late for me. Didn't Dawn sign? No, that was Aftermath. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, Aftermath. <laughs> but she says um, she almost signed to death row and the reason why she didn't is because she like I guess when it was time like they had gone through initially the first stage of the contract then when it was time to sign her manager noticed all the stuff that had changed and so she didn't end up signing which I think is so interesting and I was listening to a podcast that she did called the worst podcast with Allah Khaled, who's actually DJ Khaled's brother, who I guess knew her from LA and knew her from, he knows a lot of people from the Mickey Mouse Club. He was basically like, well, you know, like, 
sometimes you need to sign a bad contract to, you know, to get going. Like, but she was like, I do not regret my decision not to sign. And so in the last episode, when you guys were talking about like who could have had a solo career, a bigger solo career, I always think it's her and Cindy. And since we haven't gotten to Cindy yet, I'll just say Rona because Rona was kind of doing both. She was acting and singing. So maybe if she wasn't so multifaceted and she didn't have like the acting gigs that she was booking, she would have just been like, okay, well, let me sign this contract. And it could have worked. I don't really remember Death Row releasing any successful R&B artists at that time though, but um, that's just my thinking. Like when you're a singer and an actress and you're kind of using two, you know, two different skill sets, two different groups of people that have connections, you know, just maybe it could have, but regardless, she went on to do Homeboys in Outer Space, which, (laughs) have you guys seen like, because I'm so used to her being like this teenager. I loved it. Like she was like a big cousin to me. They all were on that show and to kind of see her in the role, you know, work is work. So, and it ran for like a season. It did 20 episodes. Shockingly, like I couldn't believe like that was the type of show that wouldn't get canceled after like the first episode. I watched it. I thought it was canceled after the first episode. Like I remember that show. (laughs) And like, honestly, I remember she was like the, the, she was only like a picture on the screen, right? Like mm-hmm. you never saw her whole body. Yeah. It was like she was like the computer or something. I remember watching that episode because it had um Daryl Bell from uh Different World and I love a different world and I was watching that and I was like, This is possibly the worst thing I've ever seen in life. Like it was <laughs> horrible. <laughs> like honestly, unbearably horrible. And it was so crazy that, and I remember when she joined Jamie Foxx, I was like, that's the girl from Homeboys in Outer Space. Loquacia. <laughs> See, that to me, like just being a fan of, like, I wish, like how Carrie Russell got Felicity and Felicity came even later than Homeboys in Outer Space. It might've been two years later. So I'm just mm-hmm. saying to say, like, I wish she could have stayed in the vein of, like she could have only been like 18 or 19 or at the most 20. Like I wish she could have stayed in the vein of like a young ingenue getting a role as like a college student on a show or, you know, just something a little bit more youthful. Whereas, um, the question's character, there was a lot of sexual innuendo. I just didn't like seeing her that way. Um, but like I said, work is work. I'm happy she was able to, you know, work. I'm sure it paid the bills and, you know, kept her going to pursue what she wanted to pursue. She had been in, um, uh, she did cameos in Martin and Living Single before she joined in Vogue. And I remember, I think I remember her lines from Martin almost verbatim because it was the episode where he um, had that wedding ring and it was basically messing up his game, even though you shouldn't have any game when you are married. Like, it's over at that oh, point. That but was, was that the How Low Can You Go episode? <laughs> maybe, maybe. And the girl was like, um... Oh my God! What was her name? I don't know. I can't remember. But I don't. I don't ever remember seeing Rona and Martin. Okay, so they were at the gym. Do you remember? And like one girl, he was like, she suffers from nosotol, no acetol. Yeah. Okay. That. Okay. So Rona, <laughs> Rona. I think her lines were, "Hi, I'm D. Oh, you marry? I usually could tell from a mile away. Well, nice to meet you too." <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. So that's. Um, I need to go back and watch that because I, I do called, not remember that. I think it's Ring a Ding Ding Dong or something like that. That's the name of the episode. It's about his wedding ring. So I remember her from that episode. I remember my sister was the one who told me Rona because you know everybody knows I love Rona. They were like, um, Rona's on Martin. Rona did an episode of Martin, and 
the living single episode I did not see until recently. I, I I didn't know she was on there. I don't know how I missed that because we did watch the living single in my household, but she played like um, Cal's assistant, and she had a pretty mm-hmm. a good amount of screen time. She had two wardrobe changes. She played a character named Jordan. I remember that. Cause was that the episode? Remember he he closes the door with the arm. Yes, with the when he got the promotion. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my yeah, god, yeah. that was that was wrong. They had her look. They had her looking Older. a little matronly. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I remember that. That is crazy. Cause I, I mean, I've seen that. I watch Living Single on a daily basis. Honestly, it comes on in the mornings when I'm working from home, and I've seen that. And I was like, she looks familiar. Didn't think twice about it. I, I, I swear to God, did not think twice about it. And that is crazy. That's her. Wow. That's Miss Rona. That is Miss Rona on Living Single. Check, 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 check it out. All the stuff that all the stuff that she's done, it really makes me believe that she can still you know, find a new lane for herself, like outside of being the third member out of Vogue now, because she she is extremely talented. I feel like even I feel like I feel the same way about her as Dawn. Like people want to see Dawn. Like Dawn just has star power. Like people just want to see Dawn. Um, whether it's solo, whether it's back in the group, yada yada yada. And I feel the same way about Rona. I feel like Rona, like she just has like a star quality, and I and I want her to kind of do some more things. I feel like she's had so many opportunities that have kind of had an expiration date, but I feel like there's so many new avenues to kind of take advantage of. I think that she can do it if she puts her I mind agree. to it. I think there's so many streaming <laughs> platforms and, you know, for acting, like there's uh, there's Peacock and Netflix and Tubi and just all kind of stuff. Like, I would love to see her on the show. I don't understand why so much of her, like, so much of her career is really, like, why is she not cap, or why are folks not capitalizing on the nostalgia of some of these, like, some of these credits that she has? Because I can't, you know, like, right now we we are living in, like, all things 90s, early 2000s. Like, we want to see this reunion and this reunion. And so the fact that we haven't necessarily gotten like a like a large scale Mickey Mouse Club reunion, we haven't really gotten a Jamie Foxx show reunion. Like, I'm just curious, like, right. why? Because I think that those would put her right back in front of some people that would be helpful in, in maybe her exactly. getting some other opportunities. Because and it's no shade to Rona because like, like I love Rona, but I feel like she has she's kind of become a little bit content with being the third member of Vogue in her YouTube, which is fine. If that if that's where she she finds some peace and she feels fulfilled, more power to her. However, my personal opinion is like, since you had a budding career before this era, and I feel and you can still do it afterwards, you know. That being um, said though, that being it. said though, like we we didn't necessarily write down talking about her like life coach stuff, but there are some moments where I'll, t- I'll tap into her her Instagram page and she she be dropping some wisdom. Like so, I think that like it seems like whatever lane she's yes. in, the content is like it looks good on her. The content, like you know, she seems like she is very happy that, and satisfied. She just got herself engaged <laughs> recently. Like it's okay. working. Her life coaching on herself is working. So I, we just want the world to catch up and realize, you know, put her back on the TV screen too. Exactly. 
I always think it's interesting, like, to hear Black actresses from, you know, like the 90s era. I love to hear their stories and and to hear their careers. And there are a few um, platforms on YouTube, like Vlad TV or Comedy Hype, that really gives um, some of those uh, Black actors um, and comedic actors from that era, like, they really give them a platform to tell their story. Um, but I, I, I love to hear it because you think like these people are very talented and you're like, well, in our minds, we think, well, sure, it's easy to go get a TV show and, and you know, to keep working. But I love to kind of hear their journey. Um, and I love to hear them tell us like what, you know, what went wrong or what almost happened or, you know, what agent didn't, you know, support them the right way. And, you know, just hearing kind of what that journey is like, because um, Rona is definitely very talented and she started in TV. So I, I really want to know um, kind of what her story is when it comes to Hollywood and TV and film, like what what didn't work out for her or maybe she was just more passionate in music, maybe. I don't know. Let us know, Rona. Come on the show. We, we'll give you good talk. You can just talk to us and we'll love on you and you can tell us. <laughs> <laughs> but really quick, though, I don't know if any, I don't, I think I think maybe only me and Matan would remember this, but do you remember? I'm looking at IMDb and I'm seeing this TV movie called Divas. Do you remember that? I vaguely remember. Yes. It used to come on TV I One. Love I lived for <laughs> that, I love that movie. And I see that Lisa, Rona. Like, with Lisa Nicole Carson yes, yes, and yes. Um, Tammy, uh, Tammy, what's her name? Townsend. Yes. Um, Nicole Ari Parker, Tammy Townsend, Lisa Nicole Carson, Fatima Lowe. That was a movie about this aspiring girl, girl group. And I have been looking for it on streaming. I'm like, I need to see it. But apparently Rona was, I mean, she had a very small cameo in that as a waitress. But, you know, she definitely, you know, made her rounds. So I am actively talking to someone who I know has a copy of it on VHS <gasps> to try and get it converted. Uh-oh. Because it's nowhere to be found on YouTube. It I have been it's searching. It's nowhere to be found. Like, it came on Fox, I think. So, like, it's sitting in an archive somewhere. Like, I have been trying to gently push nudge this person because I nudge a little harder <laughs> it's like you know you have these memories of these TV movies I was thinking yeah. I was thinking about this the other day because someone I didn't even know this but like Jasmine Guy did like a, a TV movie like I think either during the like peak of a different world where she was like a juror on a trial and then like one of the like fellow jurors was like I think trying to like murder somebody it was some crazy like tv movie of the week or whatever and there's so many of those that star like who we think and know as amazing sort of like icons or part of these sort of iconic tv shows and stuff and so it's like what are we not seeing because they don't put that stuff on streaming they need to they really need to. Or even pilots. All these pilots and stuff. I want to see the pilot even if it didn't turn into something. Like, right. they aired it on TV at one point. And they spent like, millions to make the pilot. They might as well put it on TV. <laughs> right. But to get back to the subject, yeah, Rona, Rona has a very handsome career as an actress and a solo artist. And she actually did, yes, because to transition into the solo career. So following the Jamie Foxx show, she was able to release a solo record. It was only internationally, 
Um, and I always kind of get confused. I'm like, did the solo album come out before or after Jamie Foxx? But I have, I actually have it. And it was after. Yeah, it was after because in the the thank you, she mentioned the the Jamie Foxx cast and. It's interesting because on the Jamie Foxx show, like this goes back to kind of my, how I referenced her being like, um, like when she was acting, her age seemed like it was kind of advanced a little bit. Whereas like Carrie was able to play like someone maybe even younger than she was, like a college student. And Rona to me was playing more mature characters. Uh, um, On the Jamie Foxx show, she played, of course, Nicole and she worked at Jingle 2000 and they did all of these really great. Well, I think they're great R&B songs. Like, If I'm Not at Home, which I wish was a full song because it's such a great R&B song. And, you know, um, I remember there was this song on the Method Man, Redman episode called Serial Killer, which I just love the beat to. It was so funky. And it probably is like an actual track for um, Method Man or Redman. Uh, but so when she gets a record deal and becomes the first lady of Dark Child under Ronnie Jerkins' label, like the music is then more pop. Like it's very, 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 very pop. Mm-hmm. And then she's kind of back to like, maybe she's about 26 when it's released. But it, to me, like the music is very teeny bopper, which, you know, is reflective of the time. Like there was all these people like Samantha Mumba and Debra Morgan and all those people who kind of made really, really pop. Debra Morgan. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a name from the past. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just very kind of like pop just pure pop music and so that's kind of how satisfied sounds and most of the record she does have some big ballads on there have any of you heard her the rona i've heard satis like i remember when satisfied came out because i was a huge rodney jerkins fan because of brandy of course and Mm -hmm. and he went on to do you know so many other records destiny's child and so on and so forth so i remember i remember satisfied but it was like it just went away <laughs> like it was there and then it was gone so i don't know what happened um but i have heard the album uh but i can't seem to uh get a a copy of it Right. I had to order it uh, off of YouTube and before like okay so you know i always give away my age but back in the day there were things called imports and there were some record companies that would have imports and which mm-hmm. imports meaning they're coming from another country to all the listeners out there who don't know what I'm talking about. So, you know, there's some releases that are only in Japan or only in the UK, but a, a record company in the United States could maybe get a hand on it. So buyers in the United States could, you know, get that import. So with her record, I think it was only released in Japan. The copy I have has like, um, it's in English, but there's also like an insert that's like has, you know, the Japanese characters. So it took me forever to get it because it will be on eBay. It'll be on YouTube, but like the amount was so much because it was an import. So I think mm-hmm. I finally saw for something that to me was reasonable and I really wanted it. So I was able to purchase it off of YouTube like several, several years ago. And she's actually signed it. I met Rona. I, I met her multiple times. I've already told you guys that. Um, but I think it's a really good record. I love the ballads. There's a ballad called I Will. It's all on YouTube now anyway. So if you want to listen to any of the songs that I'm recommending, I would say, uh, you know, you can just put them in a YouTube search engine. They're going to come up. So Rona, I Will, a great song, Time Will Tell. I love the meaning of love. Like to me, it's just a really, really, it's a solid record. Uh, it's so different from the R&B that I would have expected from the Jimmy Fox show, but I liked it. I think the issue with the it only being released in Japan has something to do with uh, the label, Dark Child, and the company, Sony. 
Sony was the parent company. Um, so unfortunately, you know, it never made it to the United States. And um, even though I think satisfied, it went to number four on the dance club play charts. It just never made it to the United States. And then she did um, Men Cry in the Dark. And I, I feel like I'm going over time, so I'm not going to say, but she tells a very interesting story about Men Cry in the Dark, which was a stage play. And stage plays, uh, most people know what a stage play is. It's, it's a play, but particularly like uh, in the African-American community, they're, they're, they'll have like singing, but it's not a musical per se. So she did that. It was based on the Michael Basin book, Men Cry in the Dark. Uh, she had issues with the co-star. She never named some, but if you've seen Men Cry in the Dark, you know it's Alan Payne. So I won't get into that too much. Um, Wait, hold on now. I love some Alan Payne. Please get into it. Tell me what. Oh. Tell, okay. tell me what's what now. Hold on. You know what's interesting is because, um, just to take a little brief tangent, since we're going to talk about Alan Payne for a moment, <laughs> um, is that uh, if you've ever seen um, Noah's Ark, mm-hmm. you are familiar with Patrick Ian Polk, who created Noah's Ark. Mm-hmm. He had a film called Punks that was his uh-huh. first feature film. It never came out. It was produced by Babyface and Tracy Edmonds. It did come and, out. Um, well, it came out, but it never got released. It was like on so TV. I that, think it came on like Logo or oh, something, true. maybe. Like one or two times, but they probably weren't even supposed to show up because they ne- the problem that held it up was that they never got clearance on all the music. And if you've seen the film, you know, the music is the girl group that is featured, the drag group that is featured throughout the film all does Sister Sledge um, music and Sister Sledge and, and whoever never cleared the um the music so like they base it it just renders the whole thing kind of pointless because they can't go uh, switch it out um but patrick and polk was in a zoom chat that i did and he basically was like the lead who eventually got played by rockman dunbar um uh was originally supposed to be Alan Payne, but Alan Payne, when he found out he had to kiss a man, was like, I remember the shit. So anyway, I have a weird taste in my mouth when it comes to Alan Payne. Well, I do too now after the story that Rona told. Like I said, she never said his name, but like if you, like the lead, he was the lead of the the play. So the podcast that I listened to for reference last night, um, and I think she's talked about it more times than that, but basically to, you know, to get to the point, he didn't like the way that she looked. I, he didn't like, I, you know, I'll just say it bluntly. That's, you know, he didn't like the way that she looked. And so um, I guess to be his leading lady, to be his love interest. And so I guess that caused all kind of tension on the tour. She wasn't happy, but she had to go and show up and be a professional. And if you've seen it, I mean, she has to sing in it. You know, she has to, you know, they have these scenes where they're being affectionate. So that has to be extremely, extremely, extremely difficult. Mm, wow. And... I think it might have caused factions. She said, like, you know, there was, like, some of the people on the crew, you know, like, it just causes factions. Monifa is in that play, interestingly. That's the, um, and I think maybe Cousin Tommy, but Monifa and Rana, you know, it's just interesting that they, uh, you know, were doing this play together because I do love Monifa. Um, And so then after that, um, you know, she, of course, became a member of En Vogue, but I just say all that to say that she has a very long, extensive career and a lot of the stuff that she does, I do love. And even she just randomly, I saw an episode of her hosting Soul Train and interviewing Allure and I forget the other act. And then Nick Cannon was um, on the scramble board. So it's just like, you know, just <laughs> the 90s. It's just such a strange, beautiful time. I miss them. <laughs> And, you know, it's so interesting because I was thinking the entire time when you think about like what when I talked about like what halts people's, you know, journeys in film and television. And 
it, it, I really wondered if it was because Rona is a dark-skinned Black woman, you know, because maybe we've, we've heard lots of stories about colorism in the industry. And, and I do wonder, like, kind of what um, prohibited her, what halted her in the industry, because she, I mean, she's very talented, but we, you know, we've all heard the stories that, you know, being of a certain complexion, it can definitely, you know, hinder your opportunities. And, and hearing Matan say that, you know, she spoke about, you know, someone not liking how she looked as, you know, the leading lady, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> so I would, I, I hope that, you know, one day Rona is open to being, you know, very transparent about her experiences. And, and I know a lot of times in the industry, people don't like to, to be super transparent, um, about certain things because, you know, it maybe it can hinder them in the future or, you know, it can ruffle feathers. But I would love to kind of really hear her story and kind of understand what her full experience was when it comes to, Hollywood and acting. Well, I definitely think that there was colorism and I, there's different stages and different trends and things like that. So like when she was on the Mickey Mouse Club, shockingly, like I don't think anything like this will ever happen again, but there were three black girls on the show. Um, when she started, it was Rona, Nita and Tara, and they're all beautiful, brown, complected women. I don't think that, like now, um, uh, and when she was on Booster's Place, the girl she was auditioning against is light skinned, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, and I know, like, I'm light skinned, like, you've seen me. Um, I just say that though, that like all of the boys, like Oprah's nephews, like they were brown, like everybody's brown, but the girl had to be light skin and then like on my wife and kids like the original girl was brown skin like everybody well Tisha Campbell's not brown skin but the original girl was brown skin and then <laughs> when they replaced her like she didn't look anything like that so for black women I definitely think there's always going to be that involved to a certain um extent uh like just how people would just hype up Christina Aguilera's voice and Christina can sing but like Rona can sing just as well as she can if not better but because Rona's a black woman I guess it's expected so I mean there's just so many different layers and all kind of stuff but I do feel like um that played a part yeah and I'm also like there's also something about like just to call it what it is or at least from my perspective and I think I talked about this with somebody I can't remember who I was talking about this with but if you were an artist and you signed with like a producer during the 90s or 2000s with their own label like it never really worked out like <laughs> if you think about like like when folks were signing to like major labels directly i think there was like a lot more chances of success oh, but true. like it always seems like when male producers in particular especially hip-hop producers or whatever like when they decide they want to bring in a female or a woman act or uh, artist like she always got the like l the shittiest sort of like deal in the I end. I think it depends on the relationship though with the with the parent company though. I think it just depends because remember TLC was signed to Pebbles, right? Pebbatone, but yeah. Pebbles was married to signed to Pebbles, you know. And also, if you think about it, I mean, LaFace was. I mean, they were a label, but they were distributed through Arista. So everything essentially still went through Arista with Tony Braxton. They and, feel and, they and feel like things. the. They feel like the exception to me, because if I think about like Aftermath, if I feel like so or um, <laughs> or uh, who was it that um, 
Like even like more recent examples, like Rick Ross signed Tedra Moses at one point and then she just like sat on the roster for forever. Like, so it just feels like sometimes like when, at least when you're on a label that is not a singing label. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you're a rapper. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Right. But with Rona, I think it's interesting because Dark Child was so R&B. busy and booked, I think doing everything else. I, I don't. It's not surprising to me that like maybe the the focus never really made it to her, to her project, which is really sad. Right. I mean, she was signed to the hottest producer in R&B music at that time. During the time that he's at his peak, I mean, like you're talking about 2000, 2001. So he's working with Destiny's Child. He's still working with Brandy. He's working with like some huge names, Whitney Houston, uh, Tony Braxton, like he's working with huge names in the industry, getting huge hits. And the fact that his own artist does not have any type of success in the U S like, I really want to know what that story is because there's more to it than just, Oh, you know, it just didn't come out here. Like there's, there's some tea. There's a story behind that. There's tea, but did so plush or any of his acts come out? I, I don't. I wasn't a big fan of his, so I don't know. I remember so plush. No, I there there's song. I actually download. I put that song on on my playlist a while ago. I mean, there. No, I don't think their album ever came out. So maybe so it was an issue with him and the because like there's some names I don't want to say, but like the Sony chairman, I'm afraid to say his name from what I've heard. And you know, Michael Jackson had to say what he had to say about him. You know oh, what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. So mm-hmm. and I know Rodney and Michael were close. Um, he did Invincible. So right. could it just be that it was something between him and? Sony, because I think even after Sony, maybe he went to another, like it, his label that I know of, it never really popped. None of his, his, his artists that are his artists popped. So I, I don't know. I do think though, that as a black man, like Dark Child in the industry, who was at the pinnacle of his career, you know, maybe the powers that be didn't want him to, you know, have that much power as an executive to where not only are you writing and producing for us, but now you're creating your own artist and that gives you a certain level of power. I don't know. So maybe we'll, we'll find out one day. We'll find out one day. <laughs> <laughs> So next up, we're going to talk about Terry um, and Terry's uh, sign is Terry's a yes. Virgo. Are any of y'all Virgos? Are there any Vogu- no, Virgos in the, on the chat? No. Okay. <laughs> so some fast facts. In 1988, Terry uh, performed in a lecture, con- uh, lecture slash concert with singer Kashif. 
um, who, if you know anything about the greatest songs of all time, did You Give Good Love and Love Come Down for Evelyn Champagne King and for Whitney Houston, respectively, um, which turned out to be an uh, on-site audition for a proposed singing group to be created um, by him and his friends. Uh, she was later recruited by him to be in the girl group before she joined in Vogue. She traveled to New York to record, but didn't like the experience. Um, also, if you remember early 2000s hip hop, uh, Terry is actually related to Lil Flip. Which is so <laughs> random. That's that? the most random. He did that so song random. Sunshine, I think. Sunshine. Uh, yes. I, oh, I can call yeah. you my baby boy. Yeah, that's a, it was a cute little bop. <laughs> um, and perhaps before In Vogue, you might recognize her from having sang with a Prairie View A&M's Quiet Storm Marching Band. You can actually see some of those clips and performances um, on our In Vogue Craze YouTube channel. They're actually really kind of cool. Um, and she was in a band with Olympic athlete Carl Lewis, which is a, also random as Super hell. Random. <laughs> um, uh, music wise, uh, Terry on her own obviously did the Southern Gal album. And uh, did a song called Call On Me on the Disappearing Act soundtrack, which I think is one of the more underrated soundtracks from that era of soundtracks. It's a really great soundtrack. Um, TV wise, she did something called a sitcom called Sparks and uh, Beauty on the beauty end of the world. Um, she had the Southern Exposure perfume and body cream line. <laughs> so that's where I'll jump in because that's how I met Terry. I was maybe, I, I think it was probably 1998, but for some reason I think it's 1999. I can't remember. Um, because I did a report. We had to do a report on our favorite scientist and I did Terry because I was a troll. Like I've been trolling since I, I was in middle can't. school. <laughs> I did. I was like, she's a chemist because she had uh, her own perfume. Like she developed a perfume. She's a chemist. <laughs> I kid you not. And so I think my picture with her was in that report. So maybe that was 98 then. But so I was probably 12. I met Terry at the West Side Pavilion. Chan probably knows about the West Side Pavilion. It is off of Pico. I guess that's West LA. Mm-hmm. Not really my side of town, but she was at the Nordstrom's there. And I feel like I was probably the only one. My mom, my mom brought myself and my sister. Um, but she knew I was the Big and Vogue fan. So I'm indebted to her to this day. She had to buy the perfume and the body cream so I could get a picture with Terry. And she did. I remember she wrote a check. And um, it was, you know, it was an interesting experience. Like Terry to me is not very outgoing. And, you know, maybe that's just like part of being an earth sign. Sometimes they're not the most outgoing people they can be. But in that instance, she wasn't. And like I said, I was the only one there or my my family was the only one there. And I remember her asking my mom, like, how did you hear about this? And my mom was like, oh, it was on the radio. She was like, "Okay, good. So I don't know if she was going to call into KJLH and be like, look, um, you know, like there's no line or anything. Wait, Um, you were the only one in line? Yeah, like, I just basically walked up to her. And, you know, like, um, when you have, like, I don't know if you've, what was that MTV show where, was it Fanatic, where when you see your favorite yeah. artist, you yes. kind of just stop. Yeah, so, like, I basically just walked up to her and I had, like, that kind of fam. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. But there was no one, there was no one else. Like, there was the, like, I guess, like, the Nordstrom, um, I don't know if they were, I don't, I didn't see, what was, what's that lady's? Was this around the time that her so I came out? No, this is after no, EV3. No. Yeah, because 98, 99, that's like oh, 99, in between EV3 uh, and Master yeah. Theater. 
So, um, yeah, so like I'm, I'm literally like there was really no one there. Like maybe like people were going up the escalator and be like, oh, I recognize you, something like that. But like we would like. That is so embarrassing. I mean, it, it, I, and that's probably why I think like maybe she wasn't, you know, as happy she as she could have been. She was over it. Okay. Yeah. Like there was so like. So wait, but what was the perfume still doing up? Because I, I did read an article about. There was a perfume a perfume launch while Southern Girl came out, but that was in '95. So like three years later, was it still selling? Right. I think it might have been still selling because um, even after that, I remember her website. She had a website that was still up, and that website I missed it because there were like she had a lot of solo pictures and they were beautiful. And um, she, you know, I mean, she was kind of doing her thing with that. And I think like the the shelf life, and she might have even said this like the shelf life for a fragrance isn't that long, but she had intended to like introduce more products into Southern Exposure. So that's, I guess, why there was a body cream. And then I think she was saying something like she wanted to do bath gels and she wanted to do a biography. But that day, like I remember, and you know, the West, I'm, people know I'm from Los Angeles, the Westside Pavilion. Like that's not like a low traffic area. So I don't know what was going on. Like I was really, at the time I was there and I didn't just walk in and leave. Like, um, like there was not a line. <laughs> but she gave me a copy of Southern Gal, the CD. And you know, um, that's my story. Well, I I didn't even I did not know she had a perfume until last night. Like uh when we got our little email and things, I I, you know, was was reading and I was like, I had no idea she had a perfume. But I did buy Southern Girl, the album, Southern Gal. I remember thinking, you know, wherever you are was cute. I remember the video for what did I do to you? And I thought the video was cute, but I was like, the album as a whole, I just didn't understand what we were going for. It was such a departure from In Vogue. We need to re-listen and give a detailed, a detailed, We should all you know, go re-listen to them and then feel. do them. No, but yeah. honestly, like, I, when I bought Southern Gal, like, I bought the CD when it came out at a time when, you know, I was young, so... If you didn't grab my attention immediately, I didn't pay you any. I didn't pay the the body of work any mind. And there have been a lot of CDs that I've had to go back and rediscover because, you know, at that time, it's like you're only listening to the hits and what's on the radio. Um, so there have been a lot of a lot of stuff that I maybe didn't like when I was growing up that I've got it, gotten into at a later date. That being said, though... I I like I like so I don't I don't love Southern Gal but I there are there are some moments on there that I can appreciate now I think because it just it's a very understated album and it is a not highly produced sort of moment so like it compared to In Vogue like it wasn't gonna feel the same and I also feel like they they styled her in a way that was very like like aesthetically they were giving her like overcoats and like long sleeves and pants and boots and it was like there was nothing sort of like <laughs> no makeup let's just hip let's to me just... about it like <laughs> um the other thing i'll say though before we move on is like i think a consistent thread through the things that we've talked about at least that i do appreciate is that terry owns and like loves her southernness and i love that so like the fact that she carries that through like she's carried that through so many of her projects and stuff is kind of cool because um you know people be thinking certain things about the south and i feel like uh even i mean now i think it's better when you have like 
uh, more people sort of owning their Southern roots. But I think even back then, like, it was nice to see somebody who was like, yep, I'm Southern. I'm, you I'm know, country. and I'm going to own it. <laughs> right. Did anybody see her on Sparks, though? Does anybody remember that episode? Um, I love, yes, I do remember that. I, it was Sparks, Sparks. Yeah, it was Sparks, and it was uh, Terrence Howard, and I forget the other guy's name who played Joanna Man. Miguel Nunez. And, um, yeah. Yes, yeah. And I think she was like, you know, she was the the love interest. I think she was a client or something along those lines that came into the law firm because it was it was based on, like, they were lawyers. It was Sparks, Sparks, and Sparks uh, law firm. And it had James Avery uh, from The Fresh Prince. And Robin Gibbons, and Kim I, Whitley. I remember- it was, a, it, was a good, yes, it was a good. It was a good cast, actually. I love that show. Like, I was here for the UPN shows. Okay, <laughs> I was tuned in oh my God. every week. I do remember that show. And I remember, and I remember she looked like herself from the Too Gone Too Long video. Yeah. Like, cause I feel like she had like similar hair. And I remember, remember they had skirts with a little slit on the side. Like, I just remember the little slit on the little like pencil skirt. And I feel like I just remember her kissing one of the guys. Uh, it was either Terrence or Miguel. I don't remember which one. I think it was probably Miguel because like, he was the player on the show. Yeah, and Terrence was like, like the... She kissed one of them and it was like a big, you know, dramatic, like, you know, over the top moment. <laughs> so I do remember that. Sparks Sparks was my show. Okay, I used to love when the sitcoms, when they would kiss somebody, you'd be like, yes, <laughs> like literally like I feel like that was the sound it was very over the top like that well I would just say this I think upon watching Terry and I was listening to a little podcast that I'm sure we'll get into later um, I think what Terry is she does seem very closed off in certain ways um, but I don't think that's really the intention I just think you know, that's just how she, like, I don't think that's what she means to be, but I just think, you know, I think she connects with the people that she connects with really well. Cause I love her and Holly Robinson Pete's relationship. And I love that they, they met on set at hanging with Mr. Cooper and they've been best girlfriends ever right, since. That's and, cute to me. Yeah. And, and Terry has such a relationship with Holly's autistic son. And, you know, like, and Holly has spoken about how Terry is really, um, one of her son's like people, like, you know, like that is Aunt Terry, you know what I'm saying? So, so I know she has that love and, you know, I think all that love and compassion in her. I just think maybe she just, you know, it just takes her a moment, you know, to warm up to you. Well, also, I feel like they, like Terry, I think is like, if, even if you think about all the ladies, like, and I think it's just indicative of some of the times, but like it was, it was less, it was all, it was more print publications. Yes. So it was written yes. words. It was less, mm-hmm. it was, and even the television interviews and stuff were super, super, and folks were media right. trained in the day. Like, so like that you knew how to hit your talking points and you, you say the things in the bullets that you need to say and you don't go outside mm-hmm. the parameters of what's been outlined. And so now we live in a world where people want to know what you think about everything. everything. <laughs> 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 a case in point, this podcast. Right. Um, and so, and so, 
it, I think it's harder for uh, I see and even like I think about like the Wendy Williams interview and a lot of these other sort of spaces that they've popped up recently and I see her thinking about mm-hmm. answers and I realize I think that she's trying to make sure that what she says is the exactly. right answer yes. and I don't think it's that it's a coldness or anything I just think she's hoping that she doesn't stumble and say something yeah. that she shouldn't say and keep in mind because in the moments where she doesn't and she lets loose I'm like oh I like right. that like I like that but then she pulls it back really yes. quickly because I think she's like let me go back into my yes. headspace but I actually have a lot of appreciation for Terry now just after I've heard her she's done a couple of little you know things interviews where I'm like okay like I, I get her and maybe it's the earth sign thing because I'm an earth sign so I kind of have a, a understanding of that um, so I, I definitely have an appreciation for her but when I listen to that podcast like I could I could feel the wheels turning and also I mean they've had the same publicist for a long time so she may be very trained to just you know these are the talking points and and like Josh said we're in a different era now where you know they ask you questions about stuff that has nothing to do with your project nothing to do with you know like they want to know your thoughts on all the hot topics because I feel like people from from the south you know their their accents their diction like how they say things how they express themselves can be a bit jarring for someone who's not used to that even like especially people from New Orleans you know what I mean so I can kind of see like her having to kind of you know uh package herself in a way that is mainstream which shouldn't be the case you know um but it, it is what it is um but i i i loved her i've always loved her as a performer like i, I said in an episode before she has like this like spicy this sassiness on stage you know she's represented for our brown skins our brown skin queens i love her she's amazing i mean obviously when Invo was first was first introduced she was the first voice you heard um so yes. so uh, uh Terry Terry is definitely definitely awesome. That voice. Yes. I just think she has such a big yes. like I think out of all of the women, maybe excepting Rona, but out of all of the women like the the lower belts, I think she's the only person who can belt really low. Like her Gladys Knight, Whitney Houston, like though like a lot of people they have to kind of go up and it kind of becomes shrill, but she could be hitting like, you know, belting and it's still so rich. And when I saw her live, like just how full and resonant her voice was. Um so to take someone else's quote, because there was a quote about Lane Staley from Allison Chain his voice can knock over a wall she has the type of voice that knocks over a wall and I just think she, like she has this incredible range and so her her voice is what will get me every time next up on the zodiac is uh, uh, Cindy who is a Libra um is anybody here a Libra no okay so um Cindy Heron Rags was Miss San Francisco in 1985 um, I bet you didn't know that Cindy met Tammy Roman at a pageant and gave Tammy her agent's card, which led to Tammy joining the real world. And we see how that kind of catapulted her career. So you can kind of say that Cindy Heron is responsible for all of Tammy Roman's fame. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, but I, I think that's kind of, I think that's actually kind of dope, you know. Um, but before it, before it in vogue, you knew her from being a child star on Up and Coming, her popular Bay Area cabaret act, 
performing as part of the original cast of Strike Up the Grand and from numerous gigs in TV shows and commercials. Heron was also featured as a Jet Magazine's Jet Beauty in January 13, 1980 issue. Come through, Cindy. She was also <laughs> named Miss San Francisco 1986. Oh, two years in a row, baby. Come on. And placed second runner-up in the 1986 Miss California pageant. She's also a former Miss Black California. You know, this all makes sense why Cindy has the stage presence she has. She's a pageant girl. You know, like, you mm-hmm. watch Drag Race and they say, oh, you're a pageant girl? It's like, no, Cindy <laughs> is definitely a pageant girl. Her solo work is a song called Peace from the Morning Museum tribute album. She played Tupac's love interest in the film Juice, which I remember. Omar Epps. Which, oh, what, oh, oh, my God, Omar Epps. Excuse me. Omar Epps' uh, love interest in Juice. Um, and her TV credits include Up and Coming, High Five, which was a pilot, Too Good to Be True, another pilot, I Will Stand, another pilot, Wally and the Valentines, ABC After, After School Special, uh, Full House, The Royal Family, three episodes of On Our Own, Malcolm and Eddie, Amen, Partners in Grime, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, she was also, she also, uh, was in the Atlanta production of Dream Girls, which included Jennifer Holiday. Um, you know, I you can t- see Cindy. This is why she's my favorite because even before In Vogue, <laughs> Sis was working. She was working, working, working. Even like pilot season is is not an easy season. So the fact that she was chosen to be in multiple pilots, you know, that unfortunately were not picked up, obviously. But the fact that she was chose to be in pilots as many as this is, and probably more. Just goes to show you, like, her star quality as well. Um, this is why she's my fave. I, I've always loved Cindy. Like I said, ever since she came in on the third verse of Hold On and said, Trust and honesty. I was like, that's my girl. That's my girl. Um, I've always loved Cindy uh, from the moment I saw her. I just I just had to go look at her Jet Beauty of the Week uh-huh. photo because I was like, I, I don't think I've seen that. Sis is stunning. She is. She, like, is. she has always been stunning. Body, body, body. I love me some Cindy. Like you said, she's an it girl. Like you look at these credits from before she was in the group, like she was doing her thing. And I just think about people from like back then, like, you know, going on auditions when there was no Google Maps. Like I couldn't even make it to an audition to even audition. So like, I don't know if they're using Thomas guys or what, but she's from the Bay Area. She was the one who, um, like even I think after Invoke, she was still um, living in Los Angeles, pursuing her acting career and like I said in the last episode you were talking about like who do you think could have had successful solo careers and I'm just wondering like why like she like with the sound that was out in like the 80s and I know Joshua you love like freestyle music like she could have killed some freestyle songs Mm -hmm. but I guess she was focused Mm -hmm. more so on acting exactly even like I think I mentioned it before like even her theater background it's like why hasn't she been in, in more Prolific, no shade to Dream Girls Atlanta production. I'm not trying to be shady, but just why she hasn't been like even even more like prolific, you know, theater productions like Broadway, off Broadway. Like it's crazy to me because she she has the talent and she has the range. Um, so it's very interesting that it hasn't, you know, been that. And and obviously, you know, she obviously is a wife and a mother. So I mean, obviously, it's probably not. 
you know, she probably had to make some sacrifices in order to be present, you know, and do what she needs to do while still being an active member of Vogue and, and touring as much as they do. I, I think I think a lot of it just has to do with her commitment and dedication to Vogue. So she probably didn't have the, you know, it, you know, that was probably first priority, you know. So it, and it's hard to like dedicate yourself to a stage play, you know, or a production. Uh, Tyler Perry play or D- David Talbert or whomever when, you know, Invogue has, you know, a booking right. engagement over here yeah. in Germany or wherever. You know what I mean? So I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. I get the I get the indication that like um, even just looking at her resume of all these things. And then I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, but I was listening to the Touré show um a podcast where Invogue did an interview with with him, and um, I was always like, kind of thrown. I'm still thrown by the fact that she mentioned not really liking her own voice or not liking the sound of her own voice um, because it is kind of like a it is a different voice. I think, especially when she gets higher and higher and higher, um, and so. I get the feeling that like maybe singing wasn't the top <laughs> priority for Cindy. And it looks based off of the resume that she probably would have really been like primarily focused on trying to be an actress. Yeah. And so she I'm has curi- a musical theater force. She does. And it's so even, even in that though, there's still like, it's the acting and the singing. Mm. And I think the idea of being a recording artist, like, true. especially like even outside of in vogue, when we think about like, why didn't Cindy necessarily go for like a solo record deal or try to like solidify a solo career as a singing artist? I think maybe that's why it's like sort of watching the Jan- Janet Jackson documentary was interesting to me because I knew that she never really wanted to be a singer, but like she really didn't want to be a singer. She was like, I want to go to Pepperdine and do business law or whatever. And, you know, but once you're in it, you're in it. And so I feel like that's why we're still seeing, you know, Cindy and in Vogue is because, you know, she's in this is what she this is the bread and butter. But I think that when it comes out, when it comes to anything outside of in Vogue, it seems like she's really just sort of trying to go back to the acting thing, which I think is good. That's a good look. Do you remember VH from before there were rock stars when like there was a segment about her on there? Because you can kind of no, I don't. I don't remember the segment. I remember the show, but I don't remember that segment. Okay. Oh, I was obsessed with it because, like, you saw Cindy really like this is like before she was in Vogue. So there was a clip of her walking in some pageant, and you know, VH1, VH1 was a shady channel. So when um, I think she, I don't know if it was Miss California or if it was Miss San Francisco, but there was a clip of her talking about hope, and <laughs> they were kind of just mocking her, like, oh yeah, she's very deep. Look at this great speech about hope, and she was like, you know. One great thing about Americans is we, we really have a great sense of hope. And, you know, with that hope, we have even more hope. Like, it was like, you know, very pageanty. Very pageant. But you kind of saw, <laughs> like, um, her doing her cabaret act, which she did Heart Attack by Olivia Newton-John. There was a clip of that. And she did Time After Time by Cindy Lauper. And the way she expressed those songs, she definitely is not a soul singer, which I find nothing wrong with that. And then there were a lot of clips of her doing jazz songs. So she was at the Playboy Jazz Club in Osaka and she did a song and then she was on a, um, a show called Second Cup Cafe or something like that and she was like I never made love by lantern shine I never saw rainbows in my world like nothing really contemporary or nothing contemporary R&B 
So when you said that, I was like, oh, that probably is true. Like she was like this triple threat, but more so along the lines of being an actress who can sing than a singer who's also Mm -hmm. an actress. But in Vogue came up and she was like, okay, well, this works. And she even talked about it after like how skeptical she was of the success of Invoke. So she was still auditioning. And of course she did Juice. And um, I think that episode of the Royal Family she did, she was a member. So she always kept that acting line open and I wish she would do more of it. That's my last statement about Cindy. I love your voice though, Cindy. But I, I, I love your voice. There's nothing wrong with it. It's beautiful and it's unique. Me too. Yeah, I, I just want to say I remember seeing her on Malcolm and Eddie and I was like, oh my God, that's Cindy. Like, again, I was a huge fan of the UPN shows and like Cindy had a bit of a, a recurring role as like Malcolm's girlfriend. I think she was on like two or three episodes. So it's, it's always fun to see like you know, the, the ladies from In Vogue doing other projects. Oh, that's what I wanted to say because Malcolm Eddie, Malcolm Jamal Warner, I guess he has some kind of, I, I saw this through Discogs, but he has some kind of um, album, jazz album. He's a Grammy Award winner. But she sang, they said that there's a, he had her on one of the tracks on his album and it's, she did a cover of Portuguese Love by Tina Marie and they said Tina Marie played guitar on it. I saw what? that in the Billboard article when I was like researching Let's this episode. Let's go look that up and find oh, wow. that. All right, well, Next, I guess we'll get into the infamous Miss Don Robinson. Please see, please see our previous episode about Don uh, Robinson. <laughs> please, okay, please see. Everyone's favorite Sagittarius. Uh, she recorded several solo songs before she joined in Vogue, including one called Talking Leaves, which can actually be found on um, Apple Music. Um, there's like a, a whole Don Robinson album called uh, Before the Dawn. And she outright like literally says that it's not her. She's, has, she's also said it's not her, which is bizarre. Don, it's you. We know it sounds just it's like her. you. <laughs> we know it's you. But, um, you know, I, I took a, I mean, it's not something I, I need to hear again. So, but, you know, it's there. Um, she was also in a band with Raphael Sadiq before Lucy Pearl when they were teenagers, which, you know, unfortunately caused her to turn down two solo deals to go join uh, Lucy Pearl, um, which was a mistake. But I digress. Um, before In Vogue, you knew her from, um, well, you know, you didn't really know her from anywhere. <laughs> Don't read that line. Don't read it. <laughs> you know, before in Vogue, you know, Dawn was a, a budding artist, uh, a, a chanteuse. Uh, she was a, you know, a budding diva born in New London, Connecticut. She's the oldest of three children. During her childhood, she sang in the church choir at AME Zion in Connecticut. And she later attended the Institute of Cosmetology in Oakland. And she also sang in, you know, that band where Raphael's deep. Um, in terms of like her solo work, uh, she released an album. Uh, she was on a couple of soundtracks. She was on in the movie Life and a movie called Tank Girl. She's what, on, what was her role in Life? I I can't pinpoint. She was a lounge mm-hmm. singer. Drop me off in Yeah, drop me off in Harlem. Okay. She looked great though. Like 
That's one thing I could say about her rose in like life. She looked like that beautiful gold dress and the, I guess that's the 20s kind of um, makeup with the, the pencil eyebrow. And then in Tank Girl, like she was blue with this um, uh, white wig. Um, and she had on like this like kind of cool outfit that kind of changed because she was walking the character through like um, how to look presentable. And Sequest, um, well, I'll talk about that later. I'm sorry to just cut you off. <laughs> Oh no! Go ahead. The TV show Sequest because I don't know what that oh, is. Oh my gosh! But... Like if there is a, um if they have it on YouTube, that's how I saw it because I didn't watch Sequest when it was out back in the nineties. But I love her episode because it's not just like a um a cameo. She well, it is. No, it's not a cameo. Like she's like um like a guest star. She's in it the whole episode, and I'm there, I'll just give all of the spoilers. So she is this singer called Serotonin. She's a folk singer, and she does this song. She said she hated it. I loved it. It's like, um, I don't even know the lyrics, but she sounds really good singing folk and she's supposed to be able to play the guitar, all this stuff. Somehow, some way, uh, like the ghost of Minerva, the Roman goddess, um, possesses her. And then, so then, and they're under, like, this is on a submarine. So I think, what is the god of the ocean? One of the gods of the ocean then tries Poseidon, that's who it was. So Poseidon, you know, it, it causes this whole big thing. Um, Poseidon uh, tries to, I guess, commandeer the ship. But anyway, like there's just all of these different looks and she's singing in the episode. She's acting. Her acting is actually really good because usually I thought she was like the least of the actresses out of the original four. But in this episode, she was good. And you get to hear her sing and you can see all these different looks. One of them... She, it's like uh, there's this scene where she's standing in like the middle of this river and it predates Don't Go Waterfall Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls by TLC it looks like they took those shots um, from that episode of Sequest and I know it came out in 1995 before so um, like if you ever see this picture of her in like all white like almost like a Greek goddess type of um, outfit that's from Sequest so she's also done theater. Um, she did a play called Love Makes Things Happen with Kevon Edmonds and Coco. I would love to hear how that production went because, I mean, I've always heard Coco speak very highly of In Vogue. And even recently, I think when um, I saw Coco do an interview with um, Carlos King, who did the, the reality show on BET this past year. And um, with like the old... R&B singers and Coco was just like she was just speaking very highly of In Vogue and how In Vogue was like you know kind of an inspiration for girl groups so I would love to hear how that production went but um Dawn she's one of my favorites she's my fave because um 
I might just say for me, Dawn just kind of has that like it factor, a very rebellious spirit. Um, I love like watching her transition from Vogue to Lucy Pearl and just seeing like aesthetically kind of what she puts out there. It's 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 always been a little bit edgy. And, um, you know, I think she had potential to do great things. But, you know, life happens. I don't want to, you know, I, people, I think, know how I feel from the previous episode. So I just would say regarding um, the things on here, I, I would also, I don't, I know she's spoken highly of Coco and she said they became like sisters on Love Makes Things Happen. But when I just look at Kevon Edmonds and Coco and Don, like, I just know there was some good singing and I know Babyface, I think, wrote that play. So like, why is it, I can't find it anywhere. Like, I would love to just hear how they sounded. I know Don was the lead and Coco was like maybe the second female lead, but they got along really well. And she, um, there was one of those interviews um, that she did out of the thousands of interviews she did in 2020, where she was <laughs> talking about how um, like Coco would, you know, just had like all these designer clothes and designer bags and a really nice car. And she was kind of asking Coco, how did you get so much money? And um, so that's one thing I love about Coco, though. Coco stays fly. I don't care if she was in the projects in the Bronx. Like, she just always had it going on. And I don't even know where that tangent came from. But because the the coins go longer when you don't live in Hollywood. OK, okay. <laughs> when you're not when you're not in L.A., you know, she is out there in Virginia Beach living in a, you know, a modest community. And, you know. Don, what I like about Don is, I mean, she is, like, uh, I do feel like she kind of, um, is, she's fun. I feel like Sagittarius can be a lot of fun. Like, I think of her, like, you know, Nene Leakes is a Sagittarius. Um, her voice is, I love how, like, she, when she sings Don't Let Go, she goes for it. Like, there's um, a clip of her. I think it's on the Invoke Craze. She did this play called Mama's Boy, which actually had Robin Givens and all these other people. Like, I guess the recurring theme is now stage plays. But, like, she, like, those notes, she's going to go for those notes and Don't Let Go. And I don't feel like anybody attacks that song, like, the, the way she does it. So that's what I'll give her. The art, reality TV, R&B divas, that show you did with Dre Don. Um, I don't think that's the form for you. It just didn't, I, I don't like how you came off. I know you auditioned for Celebrity Fit Club. That was T back in the, 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 U, the Yahoo groups days where that picture came up of her. And like, I think, I don't remember if she was going to be on the blue team or the red team, but it's like, what is going on with these reality shows? Um, but I wish you the best. I do. Um, Dawn, one thing about Dawn Robinson is like, sis, sis can sing. She can sing and she is a chameleon. Um, I feel like she can do a lot of different types of genres. And no matter how many times I hear her, I'm always, I, when it comes to live vocals, I'll always be like, Dawn, you better sing, girl. Like she just can sing. She has a great range. Um, and that's the one thing I do like about Dawn. Um, and she always looks amazing. She, she had one of my favorite looks in the Free Your Mind video. Um, she, I love, like I said, I love her look in the Don't Mess With My Man video for Lucy Pearl. Like, I just always loved her look. I, I even liked her a little, her shaved head and like the long hair when she was on R&B Divas. It was a good little look for her, kind of like, kind of a little bit like grunge rocker chick type of, type of edgy. Um, so, I yeah. wish the attitude matched the hair. 
You know, I mean, but if since since she is the the, uh, the same sign of Nene Leaks, a lot of things make sense. But what I will say is, and I said it before, I don't know who Dawn is outside of In Vogue. Um, I said it if I if I could ask her a question, it would be that it's like we've never had the opportunity to actually get to know you as a solo artist with your music, you know that kind of thing. It's always just been what I know. Besides In Vogue, what I know of her now is her tumultuous her her tumultuous uh, history with the group and the name and the litigation and the and the the beef like that's all I know so I wish I had more to love about her but unfortunately as a fan I have been deprived of getting to know her more outside of the drama and that's unfortunate and I hope that you know she can you know find some actually on her IMDB she's actually has a credit for 2021 um, in some movie um, I don't know how big the role is. I've never heard. I've never heard of that production company. I think it's like an independent movie or whatever, which is fine. But she does have have her have a, a a recent credit, and she also has the credit on Pose with with the song called "Non" because she's a writer as well. But you know, um, I uh, I would love to see more of her because at the end of the day, like regardless of the drama, people want to see Dawn. I mean, even even with my critiques of her, I still want to see Dawn win. I honestly, I do. I want to see her try make it. You know, so uh, time will tell. And I, I have to say, I loved her on R and B divas. I don't understand. You did. I don't understand. Like, I loved R and B divas. I loved the show. Every- it was entertaining. I don't feel like she, it for yeah. her. I don't feel like that was it assisted her in doing whatever she was trying to do. I mean, the only thing that I can say is I didn't like the fact that she didn't show up at the reunion. Um, but as far as like how she conducted herself, I think, no, because I think people have this idea that Don is this confrontational, like, you know, bitch, you know, and that's not what I, what I personally got from R&B Divas. I got her as being a very passive person. And I guess for me, that was very refreshing because everything that was put out about Don Robinson is that she's this like, you know, she's a bitch. She's a diva. She is this, you know, confrontational problem starter. And that's not personally what I saw when I looked at um, R&B Divas. I saw a very passive person, um, an insecure person. I saw a person who was very... um afraid of a lot of things and it made her very cautious in how she moved. What's funny on RB Divas is that how she criticizes Cindy and Terry for being loyal to Tommy and Denny is the same way she acted when it came to siding with Kelly Price with, Ooh, those, vagina, with, with those vagina monologues. Because mm-hmm. she's like, well, I don't feel right because it was Kelly's idea, so I'm just going to side with her because I can't go. And I'm like, who cares, baby? If Kelly has moved on, then just continue because at the end of the day, this is about Dawn Robinson and her solo career. So I'm like, so you criticize Terry and Cindy for being loyal to Tommy and Nina because they started in Vogue. But you're doing the same thing when it comes to turning on the ladies and, and not doing their production 
and then and then doing another production that didn't even do well as it's 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 different situation but it's the same principle you know but it may be a similar principle but to me that's like apple and oranges because at the end of the day when you talk about siding with tommy and denny (laughs) when you're talking about siding with tommy and denny i mean you're talking about your livelihood honoring a contract with denny and tommy and not getting any money and after you've sold millions of albums, that is just not a logical thought for me. Like, yeah, we signed to them, but we've also sold a whole hell of a lot of records. So at this point, we have some negotiating power. So we can't just stick to this bad situation because that's what we first and agreed And honoring to. your loyalty like, with the Kelly Prophet you just met a couple weeks ago. And now, and now all of a sudden you ride it But again, but, but, but again, that's not even like, that's not... Your livelihood—that's just a. It a is her livelihood because it was it was what was making her relevant at the time. What she else was she doing besides Armin Divas? It, it did affect <laughs> her livelihood. And, and 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 I and I choose to believe she was like I think she knew she won't coming back because she was like I don't like these people. But I'm, I'm saying that is just different. I That's choose to believe that to she didn't come back to, to the second season because Kelly Price didn't come back to the second season. I don't know why, but I felt like she. I felt like she thought that if she sided with Kelly, it was going to be her way in some kind of way for other opportunities. And it's like, baby, Kelly Price is Kelly Price. So I'm like, you have to worry about yourself. I don't think it was that. I, I think do. she didn't want to fuss with Lil Mo. Lil Mo was being ghetto. Uh, uh, and she was like, girl, uh, she was like, I'm not with this ghetto no, 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 stuff. No, 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 no. I'm not about Lil to Mo argue was not being, with Lil, you. Lil Mo was... Lil Mo was being a hood rat. She was being very loving hip-hop. And, and Dawn said, like, I don't argue... I'm not going to sit up here and argue with you. And and all the girls in Invoke have said, we never argued with each other. I've heard Terry say that recently in that interview. Dawn has said that. She was like, their arguments were never really back and forth. But maybe they should have been. And Louis. And Little Mo wanted to catfight. Because she wanted knew to have, she was Little on Mo TV. Little Mo wanted to make TV. She was exactly. making TV. So right, imagine, that's what I'm saying. And I think Dawn was like, I didn't sign so up imagine to be arguing a, so, with you. So, wait, wait, so, so imagine coming on to a TV show and then not wanting to be on TV doing the thing that the TV show is made <laughs> to do. It's uncanny. It's valid. <laughs> I think it just depends. I think it just depends because Dawn has spoken in depth. Like she talked to the showrunner. Like, oh, we want to oh, do something baby. positive. We don't want to do X, Y, and Z. Oh, and so if you are signing up, if you are signing up for something that is supposed to be one way, and then when you get into it and it turns into a very ghetto situation, like I get it. If that's not if that's not your intentions, if you don't have the intentions of coming in and acting a fool, R and B divas was created, I believe, in the wake of Atlanta Housewives, and so it we we see the blueprint, and then we wonder why the conflict was not like we knew conflict was part of the show, like that was going to be part of the show, like. But I think it just depends because, like, you have someone like Kim Fields, for example, who joined the Real Housewives, and she was like, "I did not." She was sign delusional, up for this. you know what I'm saying? So, like, <laughs> but not not everyone watches these shows, though. That's what I'm saying. Like, not everyone is is not everyone watches these shows the same way that we may watch it as people who, like, I think all of us kind of devour. But that's her culture, fault. Right? We're we're all very too. You can't you can't so, go on, you can't again, go on a show and not research what you're getting yourself into. 
Absolutely. And I think that that is that is true. But I think when you're talking to the people who are signing, who you're signing to and they're saying, no, we don't want that. And then when you when the cameras turn on and it turns into some ghetto stuff, you're like, well, but here's the thing. So, I mean, I can understand that. I, I understand what you're saying. I just feel as if. It's it's possible because at the end of the day, we're making a show. I think that it's possible for you to give the audience what they're looking for without having a compromise and go too far out of your character. But I I also think I also think reality TV has become way more of a business now. And I think people who participate in reality TV are just way more aware of okay, how Okay, well, let me cut in here now. because Lil Mo was savvy. Shantae was savvy. Like, wasn't Shantae, like, she was, wasn't that the I Love You God or that whatever horrible song that was? Wasn't that in R&BD was like Lil Mo was like, oh, I'm going to do the theme song. Like, they knew and like Lil Mo explained it so brilliantly. She was like, we know we're like on the last leg of our careers and we need this show. Like, we're not, none of us are on the radio. So I don't like, and Don, I'm not trying to criticize you, but I'm saying to you, Don, and come on the show. Like we could sit and talk, but like, what was your point of being on the show? Like, it seemed like you didn't want to promote anything. You didn't want to sing. Like anytime a mic came to Lamont, she was like, okay, well, I'm taking advantage of this because I want you to see me sing on camera. So you know what I'm capable of doing. Whereas Don was like, oh, I'm involved. We rehearsed. So really the only thing that you got was that she, well, one, well, Lamont told us that her car was smoking, but Everything else was sad. It was, oh, my husband was abusive. Oh, I'm having fertility issues. And then she had that white man who looked like he was having fertility issues. And that was pretty much <laughs> it. So, like, why are we, like... Yeah, I think I think most people go on reality shows now and they have more of a plan. I think it's just, I mean, again, this was, what, 2013? When did R&B Divas come out? 2012, yeah, 2013? Yeah, I think I think now we're in 2022, so it's almost 10 years later. I think when you get on reality TV now, you you've seen it so often that you definitely approach it with a plan. I I just don't think I think maybe she was naive. I don't know, but I don't think her intentions were to go on there and act a fool and and have these products or whatever, you know, ready to roll out. I just don't think that was her thing. And maybe that was her fault. And that was and maybe that was her fault. I'm not saying it's not her fault for not being prepared or not um seizing the opportunity, but I just think that I don't I don't think she felt like I'm gonna come in and argue with Little Mo <laughs> and have this moment. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't think that because I don't mean no harm, but the way Little Mo was coming at her, like it to me, I would have been ready to fight. Like I maybe I'm not because I'm not built for a lot of back and forth. We're not gonna do a whole lot of that. You give me a certain level of energy, I'm swinging. And that's just the way I'm being, I see where me. Mo was coming from so, too, only because she did get to a story about her kids, where she's like, "Hey, I'm trying to film this show and 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 get a check for my children, and you guys being fickle and not wanting to film with us and changing up at last minute because you guys are in your feelings. It's messing up my dynamic with you know me getting my kids back to New York and here. I mean, back to where he's from Philly. She's from Philly." Um, but you know, like, all I know, all I know is, I, so I don't believe Dawn is a diva. I don't believe Dawn is like mean or cruel or any of these kinds of like things that keep like sometimes get thrown at her. I just think that she's always 
about three inches from conflict. <laughs> like, like, and so that just, it, 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 when you are the common denominator, when the, when, it, when it looks like something and, and when it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck and walks like a duck, like it's a duck. And so I'm just trying, like, that's the struggle. And I think it is because in those moments, those more visible moments, when we, when she does have a platform or when she does have an opportunity to tell her story, we never get there. It's always something's coming up about an issue with the past or it's always Kelly Price and something like, it's just like, it's always something (laughs) and it's never an opportunity to get to know who she is or have a deeper appreciation for what she brings to the table other than a conflict. It's always sad and I'm a victim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dawn can be given uh, a show at the Apollo, a concert that she's headlining, and then she won't, and then she cancels the show the day of. And when you say, well, what happened? Her, she'll be like, well, you know, usually I have lights <laughs> and I have a wardrobe solid. My, my hairstylist didn't miss their flight and I just couldn't do it. And just nothing was, pro- girl, you better go out there. Uh, with a makeshift wig and sing a cappella, you gotta do something. <laughs> but I feel like she's going to have an excuse, and it's always going to be blaming others the same yes. way Nene does. Mm-hmm. There's no personal accountability because it's kind of like it's everybody else's fault except mine. Nope, 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 nope. And even, <laughs> but here's the thing though. <laughs> Even even if it is other people, you gotta edit yourself. You gotta edit your response. You gotta you gotta walk it back a little bit and say, is this the time for me to hurl this at somebody else? Or is this the time for me to just bite my tongue and focus on what I, I'm here to promote or the thing that I'm gonna have coming up? It we never get there because Everybody and well, why do we think that we keep getting Instagram live interviews throughout the entire pandemic? Was because people were people <laughs> were jumping at. We can talk to her about the conflict, and it was never a product mm-hmm. at the end of it to sell. Mm-hmm. It was never something like go listen right. to my new song. It was yes. none there's of that. Always, there's always oh, I'm working on this. I'm working on this. No sense. What do you have? What do and you I have? feel bad? I kind of feel bad because like that shouldn't be her narrative i feel like she should be she should be in a different position having even like even having left the group like and and had all these other opportunities and walked away from it she should be in a position still where she's able to 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 tell me something or to to promote something it just i hate that that's the narrative that gets attached to her because i don't think she is that that is not the totality of dawn but that is all i, I have to like work with yeah there should she she should have she should have more opportunity and more revenue streams than just residuals. It, she she should have more more of that, and and I think that it sucks that she doesn't. And mind you, it is not all Don's fault. You know, Sis has been dealt a shitty hand a lot. You know, there have been people who have given her promises and have broken them. You know, so it is not all Dawn. You know, uh, but I do feel like there is a lack of personal accountability on her part. However, like I said, it's not her fault. And I think that it is trash that she is not farther along because sis is too talented. She is too beautiful and she has too much star quality to be wasting it on a YouTube show with less than a thousand (laughs) views a week. 
Come on our show. Accept us. Come on. Come on Low here. Key, we got more views than some of them people she was talking to. Wait, Hello. Uh, tell the truth. <laughs> Hello. Thank you, Matthew. Shout out to our right. producer. <laughs> and you know, yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think it's it's about you have to be able to take that kind of you know, personal accountability and just, you know, have some direction and um And Don and Don Don, believe me, if we ever do get to interview you or have a conversation, you can come for me as hard as I come for you. I promise you I will take it with dignity. I promise you. <laughs> it's, it's all love. We just want better for you. It's all love. It's all love. We just one hundred percent. One hundred percent. Oh Maxine. Maxine, I believe her middle name is Olivia Jones. If you know the craze from back in the day, isn't that nice name, Maxine Olivia Jones? And uh, let me clarify this, what I think, because someone from the craze said it. She had this fan back in the day on the craze whose name I will not say, but he loved him so Maxine. I didn't like him for different reasons, so we would always bump heads, but I believe her name is Maxine Olivia Jones, and she is a Capricorn. And Capricorns, they, uh, to me, what I think when I think of Capricorns, I think of people who are just very practical. That's another earth sign. So you have um, Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn. And maybe that's why people loved uh, that lineup of Cindy, Terry, and Rona, because you got all of the earth signs. You have that whole... Uh, what is that called? Modality. That whole modality of the um, the Zodiac. They were all together and they just sounded so earthy and soulful and full. But she is the Capricorn, which is the cardinal earth sign. And Donna Summer is a Capricorn. Um, Janet Hubert is a Capricorn. And when I think of Capricorns, like I said, they're very practical, but there's just also this kind of, um, like, I don't know, I don't take to them too easily. And she actually shares a birthday with Sade and Aaliyah. They're all born January 16th. So kind of happy belated birthday uh, to Maxine. I, I believe uh, she turned 60. So her and Cindy are in the 60 club now, if that's correct. Um yeah, Capricorns, um, they're, they're, they're very practical. They get to the money. I believe is Oprah. Is that Oprah? I'm not sure if Oprah is one, but I think Mary J. Blige is a Capricorn. So you, uh, hopefully you're kind of getting the pattern. They're basically, they're, they're going to get to, anyway, speaking of Oprah. Okay. Maybe that's why Oprah was on my mind because the interesting trivia about magazine is her and her sister, they had this store called MR trading. They talked about it on the Rosie O'Donnell show, if you remember. And, um, they made like this, these really nice plates and Oprah actually made a huge order, um, of those plates for one of her events, you know, Oprah throws lavish parties. And so isn't that interesting to count, you know, Oprah as a client of anything that you sell. Um, so also, so I bet you didn't know that Maxine is related to singer Sybil. Sybil, if you remember Sybil from like the... Don't what is make it? me over. Don't make me over. <laughs> <laughs> if you, like, I don't know who remembers Sybil or not, but she would she do all the Young Warwick covers because that's really the only song I remember from her, but... Well, I only remember one song. And it was like a little updated hip hop well, version. Oh, maybe of I adore Dolan you. That's her, right? So um, she's related. So they're cousins. Before Evie, you knew her from braiding hair and singing with her band around the Bay Area. 
And she, I guess it was a master braider. We, in a previous episode, we talked about that episode she did with the Sharon Smith. And she was a star braider in the Bay Area. She could have opened her own uh, salon if she wanted to. She had a client list that went back months. Everybody wanted to be braided by Maxine. And she had a band. And at one point, Don, this might have been after um, they met at the audition. So they had already auditioned for Vogue. They didn't make it yet, but Don told a story about how she was going to sing backup uh, for Maxine at one of her shows. So Maxine was doing her thing in the Bay Area, booking gigs as a solo artist. And of course, we know now she is solo again. She released a song. I don't remember the year, but it was called Didn't I? I used to love you. Da, 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 da. Uh, she's released Christmas music. One song with Big Frida. She's done a lot of background vocals. She did I Don't Mind on Terry's record, Southern Gal. She... Okay, when I was researching this episode, I went to Discogs, which um, Joshua brought up earlier, which is a great site. It has a lot of musical information. So I was like, hmm, what was Magazine up to? Does she have any solo credits? So there's this group called To Be Continued, and they have this song called One on One. If you listen to the song, like the backing vocals, you know 100%, like, okay, that's Magazine. Like, her voice just stands out. So you had Wayne Wayne, who, like, you know, if you know in Vogue, um, Hip Hop Lover and What I Do To You. And Debbie T is another one of the rappers in the group. And then there's, like, a, a second lady. So it's two ladies and a, and, um, and a man. And Maxine, I guess it was the F-Mob act. They probably sound to like signed to East West. And Maxine did background vocals on the song called One on One. She did background vocals for Foster McElroy when they released um, a record called Once in a Blue Moon. She did background vocals for Alexander O'Neill on Midnight Run. And she did um, background vocals from Sharon Bryant of Atlantic Star on Body Talk. But I'm thinking that's probably all like that, like in Vogue, the entire group did background vocals. That was in 89, probably while, um, and it's a Denny and Tommy track. So like probably while in Vogue was in the studio working on Born to Sing, they did background for Sharon Bryant of Atlantic Star. So this, most of that happened before she was in Vogue. Braiding, being in a band. Well, Maxine is a favorite of mine because she just has an edge to her. You know, I feel like she has always been unapologetic with her approach to anything that she does. Even we talk about on the show, like how, you know, when they were in their prime, you had this, you know, uh, this black woman who was wearing short cut, short hair, wearing Caesar cut. She was wearing her natural hair, wearing braids. It's like, you know, she, I feel like a lot of things that she did that kind of went against the grain, they were a lot, they were understated. But when you look back on it, it's like, wait, she was really setting a trend and didn't even know it. Like she was the first, she was one of the first to be doing that when it wasn't as popular in that day. So I love Maxine. I love that she is, you know, uh, finding, you know, new lanes for herself nowadays, you know, with her new business and her solo stuff. Like, I even enjoy, like, watching all the behind-the-scenes videos that I post online of her photo shoots. She looks amazing. Come through, Miss Jones, Miss Olivia Jones. Of all of the, like, ladies, I feel like... (laughs) I feel like Maxine is the one I would want to have like a drink with the most because I feel like Maxine has a for all of the accolades there's like a a, a 
down homeness to her that feels like familial and like I don't know I I feel like I could like I and I feel like she would if if people really asked her the right questions she would like really uh like really sort of let folks know what the real truth is around some of these things um and i feel like she has a bit of an even keel to her so she seems like i think uh matan was saying like practical or practicalness is sort of a part of that sign and so like that makes sense because it doesn't seem like she's really about the drama (laughs) it seems like she's kind of uh about getting the job done and so like i don't know i've always appreciated that she seems like she's sort of that kind of figure um and so yeah i want to i want to like i want to drink with maxine i think she was supposed to do background for jason mraz who at the time was really big with i'm yours and all of that kind of folksy sound and that she was um working with other i think there was i remember an article of hers talking about some of the local acts in virginia and giving her opinion on it so um then i remember i know she knows rosie Gaines, who you know if you don't know who rosie Gaines is she was like she did a lot of work with prince so maxine yeah she just seems like a very solid person like I said like Capricorns to me like I don't take to them immediately but out of all of the original members um I think like Joshua said I probably would like to just sit and talk with her I can appreciate her a lot more there was just like a level of maturity um that was always there with her and kind of a seriousness almost that when I was younger I didn't really appreciate and just like with Sade and Aaliyah like they were kind of um almost aloof to me and she kind of seemed like that as well but now I just kind of see it as you know she was just about what she needed to do she wasn't going to let the industry change her she wasn't just going to go any kind of way she was going to handle what she needed to handle and I just love that about her I really have a more of an appreciation for her now and even as a solo artist like I like how she has moved on and whatever Maybe, I don't know if it was a confidence thing or not, but because I'm looking, I think there should definitely be more solo things from her. Like out of all of the ladies, I feel like it was the least. And as talented as she is, like when you hear, like if she's on a background, you can hear her immediately. Like, you know, that's Maxine and you have her cousin Sybil and not to, this isn't a diss to Sybil, but like, you know, like Sybil had a contract. I think Maxine definitely could have been a solo artist and at least had like one kind of hit. Like Sybil, play, they used to play her a lot on VH1 Soul. Like Maxine definitely for, for, um, for that era, I could definitely hear her on, you know, th- that type of R&B that was out like Surface and all of those bands. So I'm excited to see what she's going to do as a solo artist. Definitely. I love Maxine. And um, I, I love seeing that little video of like, is she teaching... Is she like teaching classes now or something like with kids? Because I saw there was like this birthday video of them surprising her for her birthday. I thought it was really cute. I just I like how she seems very tenacious. Like there's, you know, she seems like she's just gonna, you know, push forward and figure it out. And I think that's really commendable because a lot of people, um, you know, when they get into the industry and they lose their record deal or whatever the case may be. Um, they don't really rebound and I like that she's just pushing forward. <laughs> it's interesting too with Capricorns, there's always this kind of uh, maybe kind of, I'll put it like this, like an adversarial position with the way they make their money are particularly the ones in the music industry. Like you hear Donna Summer, she was always kind of very conflicted. There was David Boy who was kind of conflicted. 
uh, Shade, I can't really say, but it's like you're a singer, but you also want to be very private. Um, and Aaliyah, I'm not even going to get into, but with Magazine, I did <laughs> notice, <laughs> I did notice like, uh, going through interviews and things like that, where she would kind of be like, well, you know, like singing to me now is more so of a job than something that gives me joy. And so, I mean, I mean, I don't even know if I really have an art you can articulate that, but it's just interesting that, you know, like you kind of have to negotiate something that you really love and then kind of commodify it. And so her, she was the one who kind of expressed that. And so I would, you know, like, please come on the show so we could just ask you like how you feel about singing now. Um, you know, and we talked about how people, I think Cindy, how she talked about like her, her voice, like I noticed like with the original members, they're very critical of their voices, which is good to kind of want to expand on your craft. But to certain people, like I'll say Stevie Nicks, her voice, I had to adjust to it. But it's like she's very, you know, she just stands in it like this is how I sound. Take it or leave it. Whereas with them, when you, I guess you're kind of being produced by someone else, it's like you feel like you have to kind of mold yourself and sound like something instead of sounding like yourself. And because um, they all are great singers and like, it's not about hitting the highest note or how long you can hold the note. They all have beautiful tones. So I don't know what their issues were, but I would like to just talk about like voice with her. And um, cause she has a beautiful voice and I, I don't think anyone sounds like her. And when you hear her, she could, there could be a hundred people singing background. You're going to hear Maxine. You know, uh, to to Matan's point, I, for, I forgot I wanted to say this before, but um, really quick before we get into the letters, when you talk about those the vocal, mm-hmm. I guess, insecurities, I, I was recently watching one of Dawn's old videos, and she was talking about how on R&B Divas, if you remember on R&B Divas, there were these parts like in between scenes where the girls would like oh, sing yeah. the little riffs <laughs> and all of that and, and Dawn was like she was like I told that lady I'm not that kind of singer I don't do church runs I don't do all those riffs she was like when I go into the studio I work on it and I figure it out and I place it how I want to place it and they kept trying to make me sing and they kept trying to insinuate that I couldn't sing and it was just and that was like I found that so interesting because I've heard all the ladies from In Vogue and I think everyone recognizes In Vogue, all the members of In Vogue as being awesome singers. But I've heard each one of those ladies from In Vogue really like sound insecure about their vocals and, and their abilities. And I just I found that very interesting. And I wonder if it is a result of maybe who they were working with, because I've heard, you know, different people say like, you know, I used to be confident, but I work with this person and and because of what their process was, it made me insecure or it made me, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, but I find that interesting that all four of them have different, you know, kind of insecurities about their voices. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've vocalized that and like made it known. It's time for the listener letters. It's time, it's time, it's time. So uh, if before we get into them, if you have questions, comments, anecdotes, and I'm sure you do after the two plus hours that we have been chit-chatting on this particular episode, then email them to us at partofusevf at gmail.com or send us a DM, uh, send us a DM uh, on Instagram and we will read it on an upcoming episode. First up, Yolanda F, as in Frank. Uh, in regards to our favorite live performances episode, 
Yolanda says, another nice episode. Thanks everyone involved. It was good to be reminded of a few performances and interesting to hear everyone's take. For me, the performance with Alicia Keys was another standout and made more of an impact as a return of the original four than with Salt and Peppa. Their entrance walk down those stairs was fire. None of the others even came close. Nobody else made such an impact and they looked amazing. So proud. Also, whatever is always fun when they perform. I remember the full choreo on David Letterman or Jay Leno, I think. Isn't one of them also on the craze somewhere? And I've seen Terry, Rona, and Maxine do it in Canada once. They added some fun gimmicks at the beginning. Peace, Yolanda F. I agree. I'm gonna have to go rewatch those episodes because I was talking about the full choreo, David Letterman or Jay Leno. I'm gonna have to you go said there was something where they did the full choreo and it wasn't one of those, and I want to see that performance so bad. And are you are you Me still too. sure that it, it wasn't one of those shows? I mean, I'm gonna have to go back and watch them again just to be just to be sure. Because off the top of my head, I in my mind I have this this stage in my head where I feel like it's this stage. But I could be wrong because I can go through in Vogue clips for hours at a time. And Me too. I'll probably get them mixed up, whatever. But apart the Alicia Keys performance, I remember that so well because I remember when Alicia Keys was doing like this old two girl groups. And when the Hold On song started, it was just Alicia Keys and her dancers on there. I was like, oh, dang. There, it's just her because I remember in Vogue was not together so I was like well dang it's just some of the I guess you know I'll be happy with the song but then as soon as I heard Cindy say that ooh I was like ugh. so excited and then it was like a, a ricochet effect of a whole bunch of different like in vogue appearances with them as the original four because I I don't know if I remember the song they did with Stevie Wonder what the fuss mm-hmm. I can't find that video anywhere on the internet but it's on I, YouTube it is, I can't no it's not I can't find it okay if I find it I'll put it please because I'm like where I, I, there's audio but the actual video I can't find it anymore but I, but yeah, that performance was especially. I literally go back and watch that clip just to get the walk down of the stairs moment. <laughs> I don't know if it was by divine order, but I know like Invoke had to be in the middle because like 
if they were anywhere else, I feel like that performance would have just kind of crumbled because like if they came down the stairs looking as far as they did first and then it went it slowed down at SWV and then they're hobbling down the stairs and then TLC comes out kind of sounding kind of sad or then if I don't know but like um, whoever thought of how to sequence the groups because it wasn't chronologically because Invo came out first but whoever thought of how to sequence the groups they did a really Good, good, good job because it kind of was a train wreck besides them and both carried that whole performance um even from the ad libs to waterfalls because t-bus y'all don't hear me but we don't because you're being out saying um, <laughs> it was just yeah but Invoke, no i remember alicia keys was trying to sing some of hold on and, like, and i was like girl hush i will never forget i used to watch i used to listen to wbls when wendy williams was on and they they were playing clips from the show and they were playing uh alicia keys singing her part that she sung and wendy was like is that cindy sounding like that <laughs> swear to god she was like i know i thought i thought in vogue was touring or something why does cindy she was like why does cindy sound so bad and it was like no 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 that's that's alicia, that's alicia that was keys, cindy sounding like that thank you she cindy, was sounding all cindy here would never but I would not like that performance. I was screaming to the top of my lungs. Like I didn't, I didn't know they were going to be there. So I'm just watching, and they come out. I lost my mind. Yes. I was in my apartment going crazy. That was that was a special, a very special moment. So this second letter is kind of spicy. <laughs> All right, so get into it. Get into it. Get into it. This email comes from DT and DT says, Hey folks, I am totally dialed into your podcast. Keep up the good work. I wanted to share with you a podcast I came across with Terry Ellis from 2019. And the podcast is called Sing Talk. Um, Terry covers a range of topics, but of interest to me was the discussion about how her solo career came about. That discussion comes around the 53 mark. There's a lot to be interpreted and maybe to be read between the lines, but some of my takeaways are... Number one, Terry, and this is DT's uh, opinion here, going, <laughs> Terry pretty much admits that she turned her back on the group when time came for negotiating. Her slant is that she felt she had to honor the shitty contract they were under and was not willing to take the risks that come with negotiation for a better situation. That's exactly what Dawn said, except Dawn uh, throws in that extra juice. Terry and Denny sitting in the tree. Ooh. Um, number two, all the girls had a right to make, uh, had a right to make solo albums. That was a part of the original terms of their record deal. So to me, all of them had aspirations to go solo, not just Dawn. I don't understand why Dawn gets crap for when she tried to go solo, which was after Terry in my mind, uh, turned her, uh, which is after Terry in my mind turned her back on the group. Number three, Terry also says she didn't go with the girls to try to renegotiate a better deal because she did not feel the plan would work and she needed the money. And that's why she did the solo project instead of staying with instead of staying with the girls to try uh, to negotiate. So why was Dawn crucified for wanting to do the thing, do a solo project for the same reason? Because she needed the money. Personally, I think if Terry had stayed and allowed the girls to have maximum leverage as a full group, they would have gotten a better deal and made more money in their pocket. Pockets. Terry uh, made a mistake and took the selfish route, I, and I wish she would admit it. There's a lot more you can use for this from the podcast, so feel free to use it however you want. But my focus is really on showing that all of the girls 
bear some blame and made some selfish or cowardly mistakes in the demise of the group, not just Dawn. Quite frankly, in my opinion, Terry going solo was the start of the domino effect that tore up the original group. I think Dawn gets a bad rap for that. I love all the girls. Doesn't sound like it. I love all their talents. I think each brought huge value to the group, but I think Dawn's perspective has been very misunderstood and many key facts have gone undiscussed, including all the drama behind Terry and her actions after Funky Divas and leading into her solo project. Thanks again. Keep up the good work. Well, thank Thanks, you, DT. DT. For, the, for the very thorough email and the receipts. We love a good receipt. Now, were they receipts, though, or were they your opinion, DT? Because um, let me jump in and just say, and I don't know why people do not get about this. The different... Okay, so Terry had a solo deal. Don also had a solo deal with Electra. So I don't know how Terry turned her back on the group. The issue with Don that makes it different, which I don't know why people don't get this, is she somehow negotiated to get to have Electra release her solo rights and then signed a deal with Aftermath. And then when But e- I think we're forgetting one thing though. Oh, what am I forgetting? One thing. When Terry Terry went in first, Don was also recording an album from Elect- That's with Electra. That's what I said. You said she went to uh, Aftermath. No. She was record- She was recording with Electra, and then no, that's Sylvia. What Matan said. And then that's what Sylvia. Said. Sylvia said, "No, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to go work on this next Invoke record." Okay. And that was what Don had an issue with. It's like Terry did her album. Let me do my album. Why are you stopping my progress to now go and do this Invoke record? And I'll tell you and why. That's- and that's when she went to ask, she signed her rights, but she still recorded majority of EV3. Right, 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 right. Okay, so what does that, okay. So you have record companies, record companies have quarters. I think Terry's was releasing probably like the fourth quarter of uh, 1995 because that was, it came out in November. Um, so Terry's album didn't do what it was supposed to. Well, I can't even say it didn't do what it was supposed to do. It didn't do well. I think um, I saw a Billboard article from 1996 and it says she, it sold about 142,000 copies, which I mean is not necessarily, well, I, for, I guess for what they wanted to do, it didn't do what it was supposed to do. But everything affects the bottom line. So if Electra had several bad quarters going into it, and who's on Electra? Like Pantera, Metallica. So if Metallica didn't release anything in 95, Pantera did something. They had a budget. It did do what it was supposed to do. And then last quarter, Terry did something it's not supposed to do. That's going to affect their bottom line. So I don't think Sylvia at any point ever said, you know what, you're, this is just totally scrapped. I'm shelving it. She gave down an advance. Don was working on songs. If the higher ups say, okay, you know our bottom line is not looking good. We need revenue from an In Vogue album. Why are you going to take it so personally? Um, but fine, you you got out of your um, your contract with Elektra. And that's the thing. Your contract is no longer with the label. So you're pissing the boss off. When you piss the boss off, that's the difference. So now you have this deal with another label and it's caused a conflict because now you're saying you don't want to promote the record that you have with Electra for two years. That is the big difference. Like nothing Terry did pissed um, um, uh, Sylvia Rohn off. What Don did pissed her off because she was trying to. She said, I outsmarted her. No, you didn't. That's the whole thing. I don't see what people do not get about that. And that's not an issue with Terry. It's the issue with Sylvia. Terry had no control over that. And then as far as you're talking about um, DT, I'm talking to you, DT. You're talking about renegotiating. 
there was a renegotiation process, but what Don had said was it was her, Maxine, and Cindy. They were looking at other deals. So that's not renegotiating. That's shopping for other deals with another record label. Don said that I think they were, maybe it was LaFace, and there was like $60 million on the table, and that their lawyer said that it will be completely indemnified or 99.9% indemnified, which means it's not indemnified. Um, Cindy didn't want to sign it because there was a chance that they could go after her husband's pension. So this is all kind of other stuff that's happening outside of that. And just like thinking logically, which, okay, magazine is practical. Virgos can be, I know Virgos are more so critical than anything, but Terry knows that you're going to be sued. You're not just going to walk away from a deal because another lady gave you $60 million. So it's not that she didn't want to renegotiate. She didn't want to do anything that could cause a potential issue of litigation. So I think that's what people are missing. Most of this stuff, like Denny and Tommy, they're irrelevant, really. Sylvia is the boss. She's the executive. She gives out the deals. Terry probably was able to finish her record really quickly. Like, that's the thing like the like it's all it's sylvia and like that was their issue so i don't know why you're dragging everybody else into it like if you feel like sylvia was wrong for saying okay don um because terry's album didn't do well and because maybe electra had like a bad year your album is not coming out then that's the issue between them it has nothing to do with terry okay can i also just say that i think that like what's also like people didn't consider the hypothetical of what what would have happened had Dawn released a record after Terry's and if Terry's had flopped and then Dawn's if she had risked it and hers had flopped then that would have really like really holistically fucked up the group mm-hmm. for another in Vogue album so the the reaction is not like it makes business sense to say, okay, the first didn't really hit. So let's go back to where the money is, where we know the, the, where we know the gold is, get us some more gold. And then we can re, <laughs> re talk about this, uh, this solo stuff again. It doesn't make, it just doesn't make sense business wise to give all these girls opportunities and have them potentially like water down the in vogue brand and then try and bring back in vogue as a group after potentially some missteps exactly sylvia got them their biggest song of their entire career and don got to sing lead on it i just (sighs) i just don't get it so my my thought is this a couple of things so when it comes to renegotiations in order to renegotiate you have to have leverage right Mm -hmm. so if i'm going to my boss and i'm saying i need more money well why should i pay you more money you should pay me more money because i have these offers on the table and they're willing to pay me this much this much and this much this is what i'm worth this is my leverage and a lot of times and i've seen i've heard of different artists who have been able to um get bought out of their deals um by another label so if this person is willing to pay my old label to pay whatever I owe on my contract or whatever, then that's how you avoid a lawsuit. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like they're willing to true. pay you. If you're willing to pay me, what what did you did you say? Sixty million dollars. Sixteen. I think that's I think that's what oh, Don said. Sixteen. Sixteen. Then of course you're going to be willing to pay a few. You know whatever else to get me out of my contract with Electra. Hypothetically speaking, but what I'm saying is we can't even offer that if we don't have everyone on board you know what i'm saying like if we don't have everyone unified to say this company this company this company wants to give us x amount of dollars so electra what do you bring into the table because we've got offers over here you know what i'm saying so it doesn't work with only three out of four people and i think 
you look at the bigger picture here is like in Vogue has sold millions of hours. They have made tens of millions of dollars for other people and they are broke. You know what I'm saying? So like to not understand that, like to me, to me, you have to have leverage to go into any negotiation yes. because if you're only if you're only working with Sylvia to renegotiate your contract, Sylvia can just say, "Okay, well, I'm gonna pay you what I think you're worth." Versus, "Okay, Sylvia, you think we're worth two million dollars, but LaFace thinks we're worth eleven million dollars. RCA thinks we're worth sixteen million dollars. Okay. That's leverage. That's how you These negotiate." Other companies probably have well, well, obviously they're also fans of you. One, that's why they want you, but they probably have right. a team of people who have come up with. <laughs> entire game plan and say we have a, a game plan to get you to right. the next level so, exactly. so obviously you know what I mean so they're and coming with their, their A game to get you so I, at least and obviously this is like this was years ago so you know we're just reacting from the news of it now but it's like but this was years ago so obviously it's a different time I'm sure they learned from it it happened yada yada I'm just saying based on the context back in the day it's like why did you not go with your sisters to these meetings? You should have say, went. And let me say one more thing. When you talk about Sylvia Rohn, I respect her as a black woman in this industry, but part of being a boss in any company is being a people manager. They signed her rights away. That was a, a decision that Sylvia signed off on. I mean, she they had to agree. If they all had solo contracts and they had solo deals in their contracts, which is what Terry said, we all had solo deals. In order for Don to go anywhere else, Sylvia had to agree to let that happen. She simply could have said no. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it just it did not have to happen that way. And I think that you know, part of being a boss, like if you if you if you have four members of a group and one has done a solo album and it flopped and you've got another girl who's already recording just to snatch that away. That's just not a good interpersonal decision. Like that's not going to make her feel valued. That's not going to make her feel good. It's going to make her feel some kind of way. So to me, as a boss, as a people manager, you have to manage those emotions. Like in any corporation, whether it's the music industry, whether it's financial or whatever, you have to manage those emotions of people. And I think any boss will tell you that when you are a people manager, it's not even, you're not even so much managing the day-to-day activities. It's the emotions. <laughs> like you're, you're dealing with interpersonal issues. So you have this, this one member who's pissed off now because you promised her one thing and you snatched it away. It's your job to smooth that over. You know, listen, Don, these are the facts. You know, nobody's selling records. Terry flopped. At this point, we we need an invoke record. We need another multi-platinum record. And after this, I promise you, we're going to launch your solo record. It's going to be huge. We're going to fix any mistakes we made with Terry. We're going to not make them with you. Because we'll have a budget. Sure we, and, Why? Because you right, made us you know money. What I'm like, you, you, it's your job as the, as the boss to smooth that over because you're looking at the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is invoke as a brand is valuable. They are a big asset. You know what I'm saying? They're bringing in millions of dollars. So to me, I feel like Sylvia dropped the ball all around because you didn't have to let her go do anything with anyone as a solo artist. You should have just smoothed her, smoothed her over, made her feel good, made a couple of promises and got the album out. Well, it's interesting. I, I do like the perspective that you brought because I didn't think of it that way because that's not the way it was presented. The way Don tells the story is like they were really trying to sign with 
um, LaFace. So, okay, I do get the, 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 um, idea of leverage that makes more sense than the way that she told it. Um, you, hmm, I don't, what do you think, Josh? You're quiet. <laughs> I, I I don't I think that there's things we will never know. Yeah. I think there are things that uh I would like to think as it's being explained here happened. I think there's a lot of stuff we don't know that happened. And so I do like the I there's a piece of the the letter that I agree with and I think that there in a group everybody's contributing to a, its success mm-hmm. and its downfall mm-hmm. and i feel like there is an opportunity from the top 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 with sylvia all the way down to the members um that somebody's got to own and so we won't ever know if they've owned those things or if they ever will because the train is moving and everybody has yeah. decided that they're going to move in different directions and that's okay yeah. um but the shoulda coulda would have unfortunately won't get us uh a different era of ev3 it won't get us a better dawn but they will roll out. they will It'll give us another podcast episode <laughs> <laughs> they will <laughs> <laughs> and also, and also, though, I think that's the thing about I think all the members of Vogue that I would love to hear. It's just some accountability on everyone's part just to say, you know what? And I, I don't think there's any shame in saying that I probably could have done that differently on everyone's part. Don, Terry, Cindy, you know, Max, I think if everyone could have if everyone is able to really own certain things that have happened, um, I think it would make it easier to kind of come together. Uh, I think when no one wants to take any type of accountability, it even when you try to move forward, it's, you know, you have scars that haven't healed. You know what I'm saying? And I think really the only way to heal is to, to be able to take that accountability and to take your blame and just say, you know what? Yeah, I could have done that differently. And, and, you know, I think that's where the healing starts at. And for me, it seems like they always kind of just try to ignore it, smooth it over, pretend like, you know, whatever, and just go. But it's always going to come back up. I think the issue that there's not one clear leader, and Joshua said something so interesting, the first episode about Michael McDonald, how he he was doing a concert with the Doobie Brothers, but they were doing a separate album. And I feel like when you think about the Doobie Brothers, you're going to think about Michael McDonald, like with most groups who've been around this long, there's kind of like a clear, clear leader or leaders in the group. Like with the Eagles, it was always Glenn Fry and Don Henley with Fleetwood Mac is probably going to be Stevie Nicks just because she's so visible outside of Fleetwood Mac. Like since, you know, you have people that tried to break away, you have people who stayed, but you have people wanting the originals. And so there's still no kind of clear, like no one was like, it's just like, who's kind of leading? Like everybody's just kind of going in their own direction. Remember, Tommy and Denny, they did not have a record company. They did not have a label. I don't think they had an imprint. They had a production company. So in, um, in Vogue was signed to their production company. Tommy and Denny were signed to the label. So really, Sylvia Rohn is their boss. But Don explained that something happened where the lady who signed them left. And so they were no longer signed to to tough enough productions and they could sign directly with the label. So I don't know what was happening, but I know they were renegotiating their contracts. Um, and so I don't think Terry necessarily stopped that process of, you know, of them signing directly, um, with to election. Now, why, um, did, I don't feel like she was really trying to hinder or stop the girls. Um, 
I feel like the issue is more so between Sylvia and Don. And I do agree with what you said about, you know, the way Sylvia handled it. But then did Sylvia breach the contract? And this is rhetorical, but did Sylvia breach the contract when she did um, put a halt to Don's record? Because that is interesting why she would just kind of let Don out of her record. Did she know something that we don't? Just putting that out Mm. there. And then that's all I have to say. That is interesting, though, if it were a breach, because to me, like, honestly, if I'm the boss of a label and I want her to do a solo album, if if I'm halting it, I, w- I would never sign those rights away. It does. It does. That's not logical to me. Like, even if I didn't want you to do a solo album, I don't want you to go make money for nobody else. So I wonder if there if there was some sort of breach by stopping the, the process that made her, you know, free to go somewhere else, because I just don't understand why that would even be a thing. Uh, hey, you guys, this is Justice again, checking in. I just got done listening to the recent episode about In Vogue, uh, about why it wasn't, uh, why In Vogue wasn't as successful as other girl groups at the time. And I just want to say I agree with a lot of the points made during the episode. I truly feel like EV3, like the EV3 era was supposed to be the era to lock them in and really push them more into mainstream success, but it was massively mishandled and hurt by Don's departure. I feel Masterpiece Theater could have been the recoup for them, but that era was massively mishandled as well on the promo and management tip because that album deserved all the accolades. Um, seriously, why wasn't Riddle performed on 106 and Park and TRL was a huge miss, but that's for another time. So my question for you guys in relation to this topic, it's kind of a two-parter. Do you think EV remaining as a trio has hurt them at all in regards to success and opportunities since they're known for being a quartet? Also, do you believe um, had they replaced Dawn right out the gate and remained a foursome, could they have salvaged EV3? Side note, Shani Sashante Moore would have been my picks for a replacement. Keep up the good work, you guys. You are truly doing the Lord's work with us EB fans. Can I wait for the next episode? Y'all be blessed. I think that's really, that's a really interesting question about adding someone as soon as Dawn left. And I know why they didn't add anyone because, I mean, there were, you know, two full albums, two EPs later, um, and they were broke. So (laughs) they were not trying to split any more money with another member. That's why they didn't do it. But I think adding a fourth member at that time actually probably would have been a good idea in hindsight. I think that would have been a really good idea. It would have generated press. Yeah, it would have generated press. It would have gave that Destiny's Child effect. You know what I'm saying? Um, Shantae Moore, I could see, I mean, I could see Shantae. And yeah, I mean, I think Shantae Moore and Shanice, I think those would have been very interesting um, additions to the group. I think that would have been, that would have been really tricky though. Cause, and I, I don't know if it would have created more problems, but I think it would have been an That's interesting, true. potentially challenging dynamic to bring established solo artists into a group the way they have to share the stage. I, I mean, like, but think Vic, about Johnny Gill and New Edition. True. But I think like, I, I think an in, I think the industry is really inherently meant to like they pin women against each other more than men. And so I feel like it would have been really, really tricky to ask a voice like Shanice or, or Shante Moore to like, so you get the, 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 uh, the pre-chorus or, or you get the verse, but like, uh, I just think it could have been. It would have been interesting, and I think it, I, the Destiny's Child effect, I think, would have been probably favorable for them. Um, but I think it would have, in my opinion, it would have been more interesting if they had brought in somebody who was less of an established uh, yeah, figure. Uh, yeah, lesser known. I mean, either way, I think a lesser known person would have been interesting as well. 
Um, but I think that's actually a great idea because aesthetically in Vogue was four. And so when you go down to three, it changes the performance dynamics. It changes all of those things. Because when I look at the EV3, you know, performances of whatever, it it's it's just off. Like it just it's very off from what we saw with Funky Divas, you know? Especially given that when we see a trio, we usually see one as the lead lead. And so when you don't have the the one in the middle is the one that's the lead, then I think it does kind of create a weird dynamic. I wish we would also stop like I wish we would stop limiting our restrictions or start uh, lifting our restrictions on what a girl group or a boy group has to be. I think like K-pop is a really interesting like um like uh set up even though it's obviously problematic for a lot of reasons but i do think it's interesting that they like create these massive groups and also like members can cycle in and out and all these other kinds of things i think like why do we why do we it's interesting if you imagine in vogue as a brand and not tied to four people or four individuals and then folks can come in and out almost like the pussycat dolls but without the like weird burlesque thing so yeah which is actually not even that like i even think about like the back in the day in like the motown era before social media before paparazzi before all these other kinds of things when a girl group was on the road and maybe a member got pregnant they would go find another girl group member from another uh uh you know rival group or something and bring her in to fill in like Dion warwick and it wasn't a big deal Dion warwick was a sherelle I do, I, I do agree with, with the mishandling and Masterpiece Theater. We'll get to that in a future episode. Um, so moving on to the next letter is from Terrence. And it says, do you think Cindy, Terry, and Rona should refrain from performing songs that In Vogue recorded as the original four? I've heard some people say that the current lineup shouldn't be touring with songs that Terry, Maxine, Cindy, and Dawn recorded. What do you think? And if you think they shouldn't, do you then think that Maxine and Dawn shouldn't perform any of In Vogue's songs during their live shows? Thank you for reading my letter. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. So I guess I'll answer first. One thing I will say is, um, of course they need, they should perform them. Why not? It's, 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 those are in vogue songs. So no matter who is performing them, they all have their, their vocal stamp on that track. So why can't they perform it? Now I, I've said this before. I do think that it is, uh, it is, um, disappointing that the current lineup, Cindy, Terry and Rona don't have any hits of their own as this specific trio so that all they can do is perform the hits from Evie's early eras. So I do think that Cindy, Terry, and Rona, you know, they need to, as we have stated, you know, work with some more producers and like find some, some new hits that, that kind of stamps them as the trio right, right now. You know, it's kind of, and I can understand like why some fans, you know, well, I can't understand, but I, I do uh, I guess I understand why some fans still refuse to acknowledge Rona's uh, membership time in the group because it's like, well, she hasn't done besides Soul Flower, which they hardly perform. What what does she do besides just sing leads that Maxine and Dawn used to sing? You know, so I do feel I do feel like 
they need some songs for their current era that that uh, kind of stamps them. Rocket, what Rocket was a good beginning, but I feel like that has kind of subsided. Um, so you know, Rocket was a star, but they need some more songs. They need they uh, Cindy, Terry, and Rona need a need about a good six songs as a trio, a good six songs. Um, that they can perform along with Evie's old hits. I just want to know, I mean, Rona can't call out Rodney Jerkins and be like, hey, you know, I was the first lady of Dark Child. Can you, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like Rodney, can you, I mean, because Rodney, Rodney produced some really cute songs for Tamia's uh, Between Friends album. And, you know, she was independent and he did like five or six songs. So I'm just putting that out there. But, um, I mean, yeah, I think everyone should sing whatever they're singing. Um, I think it's stupid that, I mean, for me, I don't care what the beef is, but if y'all touring, if I was Don and Maxine, I would be like, I'm showing up too because <laughs> I sang all those songs, so we're going to sing them together and we can just work it out. That's my perspective because, you know, I think most of these artists from the 90s, um, they all had bad record deals and they all, you know, this is the resurgence of the 90s and all of these old groups that have kept themselves together, they're able to make up for the money that they didn't get, you know what I'm saying, during their prime. So, you know. I think I think all of them have the right to sing any of those songs. I think um, they certainly do sound different when only one person's singing them, though. Anything <laughs> else on that topic? Or are we moving on to our final question? <laughs> but let me just say one thing, though. I want to say one thing really quick, since you talked about how they sound individually. I'll say this. That's very true. I've seen Don in person do a solo set, and I was like, okay, whatever. But when I heard Maxine sing Hold On, I really enjoyed myself. I just want to put that out there. I really enjoyed that that interpretation. It was very different. It was not expected, but I enjoyed myself. No, I agree. I think like that. I think that they that it could be fine. I just think that you know when you were when you were you know expecting uh, what you have been accustomed to. Um, I think it you know it can create some issues for folks like the, almost like the Lauren Hill effect when you when you don't listen to an album uh, a classic album for so many years and then you show up to the live show and it just don't give the same thing it can give something different that's fine but it just doesn't give the same then like you know that deal with the repercussions and so uh, we got one more uh, letter this this episode from uh, music underscore ed underscore Mike on Instagram <laughs> um mike says first off i love the podcast and i love uh, i like hearing the different perspectives i have a random question i have a friend who is really into bts he told me something that i think is very interesting the group records an album and they include solo tracks on the album for those members who want to do solo music the group doesn't break up to do solo music but they do it within the group do you think that B- this bts model could have worked with the original four women would that have uh, scratched the solo itch enough to keep the group going? What are your thoughts? Also, I have another totally unrelated question. What do you think the group would be like with a Cindy, Terry, Maxine, Rona lineup? Do you think Max would ever consider that? Do you think those fans who only want the original four would be more open to them with the three original members back in the group? I'll take the BTS question. Um, now, I can't 
be biased too much because I don't really listen to K-pop. But from what I have heard, like none of those people can sing. None of those people meet my threshold of talents. They're, you know, they're just there um, and they have backing behind them. So I think it's a totally different beast. Um, I think in Vogue got to kind of have, they had solos and maybe magazine didn't have as many, but you listen to Born to Sing, you listen to Funky Divas, you know, that kind of should fulfill a solo itch unless you just want your group members totally out of your way when you're performing. And, but probably when they're performing their solo stuff in a concert, it's a BTS concert. So, um, they had those great solo moments, uh, so I don't really know how that will relate to In Vogue, though. They, they, their group records an album and they can include solo tracks for those members who want to do solo music. So, um, what, what, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, like, so do the, like, do those people tour solo with those records that they have on the group album? So it's pretty much like, so BTS has seven members, right? Ugh. Um, and so, yeah, seven of them. Um, there are even K pop groups with nine and 12 members. So, so and obviously. Three part harmony. Yeah, uh, hello. <laughs> and so, and then, well, there are some in groups that, that are, that are specific singers. So they have like roles. And so you have your lead singer, you have your two backing lead singers, you have your rapper, you have your, your dancer, you have your member, <laughs> you have your member who is pretty much like the face, like they're kind of like the quintessential um, uh, perfect face and they're like the face of the group and then you have your also your member who was kind of like the crossover their English is where they have great English they can cross over and do interviews like they all have their roles so but so it's like a lot of them may not be singers but they do something else so like there's a there's a member in a group named Sugar and he's a rapper and so he has songs that obviously you know most of BTS's songs they're they're it's them singing but he's not a singer. He raps. So because of that, there'll be a song on their album where it's just him rapping to kind of showcase his talent or whatever. And then as they do that, um, you kind of gauge the audience reception and say, Oh, you know, well, well, you know, they like sugar rapping that song. We should, we should put out a single for him. Then they'll put out a single, see how that does. And then they'll see, can we go forward? So it happens a lot in like a lot of KFI groups. And I think they did that in. Pussycat Dolls as well in her second album where a lot of the girls obviously Nicole was the lead singer and Melody was the second lead but the other girls who were singers too were just there for the aesthetic but on the second album uh, I think all four of the other girls got their own song um, as kind of a way to be like oh you know well, well you know as time goes on like you, we can kind of introduce you as an artist to see how the audience receives you. Um, I don't think that would work with Invoke because like you said, they're all lead vocalists. They all, they, 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 they all have a hit where one of them was the, at the forefront. So it's like, it, it doesn't, it's not really, uh, it doesn't really make sense for them because they all have moments where they were showcased and they were the face in that way. Um, but I feel like if, if Invoke was just a group where it was one lead vocalist, that would make sense for them, but I don't think that it would make sense for them. And as far as the lineup with Cindy, Terry, Max, and, and Rona, um, I would be here for it. But like I said, I am here for, uh, EV5, and that's that, cause y'all not gonna keep disrespecting Rona. And, that's right. And, and, and it is what it is. EV5. Jonathan, don't you roll your eyes! Don't you be rolling your eyes! <laughs> I'm here for EV5, and I'll shut up. 
I would be here for the Max, Rona, Cindy, and Terry lineup um, based on the fact of seeing Terry, Rona, and Maxine um, overseas. And I thought they had a really good flow and I, I really like them. So I would, I would love Maxine to be a part of that. At this point, I've said it before. I don't care about Don coming back to Invoke. I would rather see Maxine because to me, I think there are other things that I would rather see Don do personally. Um, so yeah, I would love to have Maxine, um, be a part of it. I agree. I think that could be interesting. I, w- I would, I want to, I want to vocally understand who would do what with Max so, since Rona comes back in, or since Rona has come in and sort of assumed most of Max's parts. I'm just curious with Max back in how they mm-hmm. might play with some of the other parts that we're used to now hearing certain voices take over. Um, so that could be really interesting. Exactly. I also like kind of don't really love the idea of solo tracks on group albums. If it just as I, I get it works for K pop in that genre, but. I just I didn't like it when Destiny's Child tried to do it on their Christmas album. I didn't like it when they kind of tried to give Kelly some songs randomly on that last Destiny's. <laughs> it's that a good song, but it would have been, so been better as a group, though. I think it would have been better as a group. So, like, it just if 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 it's giving group, let it be group and let everybody do their thing. I just I don't know. I, I can't get really, I can't really get behind it for In Vogue. Like, I can get behind it for other groups. Can I ask you? Okay, that's right because I haven't heard it. So is it is like Kelly by herself or is it Kelly with background singers that aren't Destiny's Child it's her by herself it's her I think okay well I mean like Philippe Mac has a song called Landslide it's all Stevie Nicks but but it's a band so the band are playing instruments so I guess that's totally totally different scenario but I actually would kind of be here for that if like somebody wrote a song and like one other person sang it something but it's not technically solo but sometimes there are songs that don't need backing vocals so I don't know I'm here for it I'm here for it I I think that I think that the 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 structure of groups as a whole can be kind of toxic because there is this hierarchy that I feel like people are afraid to admit exists, but it's like, no, it doesn't exist. Like there is a lead singer because they sing the best. They go in the studio and kill it. And, and they are more palatable, you know, for mainstream artists or whatever you say. And then you have people who are probably good for the look of it, but aren't the best vocalist. They don't add as well. I, I feel like there is a hierarchy, you know, unfortunately. So I, I can kind of understand why it's like, well, let's showcase why the members would come together and say, well, we want to showcase homegirl. Because, you know, she's always in the back. Like, why can't she get a song by her, you know? Or because they probably have like, the range. Yeah, they feel that bad about it. Well, well because, well, well, some, well, sometimes it's like, like, I've heard songs where I'm kind of like, well, why couldn't, why couldn't Kelly sing this part? Or why couldn't Latoya sing this part? But it, it, it's producers who are so zoned in on a sound. It's like, well, we're going to have you oh, do this part, you true. do this part. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, with Beyonce, it's like, clearly Beyonce can get in the studio. She can do, she can do seven part harmony, do her leads and ad libs in an hour. You know what I mean? Like, she, like she, that, that's just how, probably more than an hour, obviously, but that's just how her musical mind works where it might take another member you know, who, who may not be named Latavia, who can probably, who it might take them a little bit longer to do a part, you know, or whatever. Or even when you listen to, um, um, Latoya's voice, who sis can sing, cause good to me is my jam. Um, but it's like, okay, she sounds like this, 
but didn't get any leads on any singles, that's criminal to me. Um, but, but I, I feel like the, you know, a lot of producers and even in management, they are zoned in on the specific sound. And unfortunately, that is always, that was always Beyonce. It was always Nicole Scherzinger. It was always Latasha Scott. You know, it was always Missy Elliott when she was in that group. You know, it was always <laughs> that, you know, but unfortunately. The point being that, like, the point being that, like, we knew, and I think everybody knew from onset that Destiny's Child was about Beyonce. Like, and even when they decided to start to give more solo moments, when they started to give more solo moments to the other members, it was because they knew the loot, like that it was lucrative to now let them have solo moments once they, you know, disbanded the group. And, you know, they were all still signed or in some way, shape or form in, in business relationships with Matthew. So he was like, you mean I can set three solo careers off now? Let me get these girls a little taste in this on the, you know, on these other projects or whatever. So it was kind of a smart business decision. Um, but, you know, I also think about like, I don't know. I like a lot of old school groups. Like I love LaBelle and I lo- LaBelle. like there was a very clear, like, you know, lead. <laughs> there was a very clear lead. Like Patty LaBelle was the lead in LaBelle, but all them women could sing and, um, and they all sang. So like, it's just kind of interesting that I can't name another group or is there, I mean, maybe there is, but are there other groups where of the hits, they can say that multiple women the were singing sisters. the lead? Like, Pointer sisters. Pointer sisters. But but see, like the emotions all sound alike, like, though. That's the, I can never tell an emotion apart. <laughs> let's let's wrap this thing up, friends. Okay, so this is the wrap up, and we're going to give our podcast a plug. Check us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Amazon Music Podcast, and YouTube. And a reminder to our listeners to please email us any invoke footage you may have and we'll host it on our YouTube channel. I am requesting invoke performing whatever on this morning. Britain, I heard it exists. I want to see that and I also want to see them on Rhythm and Jam. So if anybody has those, please send it. For more Invogue related content, find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Invogue Craze or on Twitter at Part of Us Fancast. Comments or questions can be sent to us at partofusevf at gmail.com. Thank you, co-hosts. I am Joshua and you can find me at Josh Jinx on all the socials. You can find me at uh, Everybody Loves JP on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Champ and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Champ Johnson and on TikTok Champ Johnson and the number two. It's dark outside and you can find me at Your Little Dog 2 on YouTube. So we'll see you on our next episode. Bye! episode of Part of Us at Invoke Fancast was researched, written, produced, and edited by Matthew at Culture Inject Productions.
The intro and outro music was produced by Wolves and Vincent Tone. We're more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. You can keep up to date on Invoke and chat with other fans by visiting Invoke Craze on Facebook. You can also follow us on YouTube and Instagram at Invoke Craze and Twitter at Part of Us Fancast. Part of Us and Invoke Fancast is not endorsed by Invoke, E1 Music, or Invoke Records and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Invoke and its names, images, audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective copyright holders. You never know why people do the things they do. There's always more to the truth. A cute three in three hours and 30 minutes. I love how we said we were going to make this a quick episode. This is going to be so quick. If you have ideas, interview requests, comments, or questions, email them to us at partofusevf at gmail.com. I'm going to do that part again. Ideas, interviews, okay. Ideas, interview requests, comments, or questions, email them to us at partofusevf at gmail.com.